This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 83, February 7, 2010. Who's Jacob? Does it matter? Can you fix Saeed, Jack? No. Then you're gonna have to let me do it. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And it's great to be back podcasting about Lost. Now, of course, it's been a crazy, exhausting, wonderful week for us here on the island. Thanks to that advanced screening of the first hour of season six for Sunset on the Beach in Waikiki on Saturday. We just want to say thank you to everybody who came from around the world and from the other side of the world Mm -hmm. to share in the big celebration with us from our opening dinner with Tahitian dancers on Friday evening. To the all-day beach stakeout, the red carpet arrivals on Saturday before, of course, seeing Lost on a 30-foot screen. To our eight-hour around-the-island filming locations tour on Sunday. It was epic and it was just the most insane, crazy, fun weekend we've ever had in the whole time we follow the show. Absolutely. Now, we know how rare time in Hawaii is for most fans, so it meant a lot that so many people felt it was worthwhile to spend so much of it with us, and we're definitely never going to forget it. It was absolutely the best and only way to kick off this sixth and final season of Lost. But that's all one big flashback now. We're actually here to talk about the two-hour season premiere, LAX. Up next, we'll recap the premiere episode in roughly eight minutes or so. (laughs) We'll do our best. Then we'll hear your feedback on the episode in You All, everybody. And finally, we'll cover the last two weeks of Lost production in the forward cabin. And how? You ready? Let's get lost. Season 6, Episode 1, L-A-X, and I don't know what's going on, but I think we can still break it down to on the island and off the island, and we'll start off the island. The white light fades, and we see the clouds and sky out Jack's window aboard Oceanic 815. He banters with Cindy, chats a little with Rose, and the plane hits some turbulence, but it quickly stops this time. Jack says to Rose, looks like we made it. Bernard returns from the restroom, and Jack goes back, and he notices a red mark on his neck in the mirror. Desmond is in his row when he gets back, and Jack asks if he knows him from somewhere. Desmond introduces himself and calls Jack brother. Brother. Jack looks back out the window and the camera zooms down through the clouds and into the ocean and we see the island including New Otherton and uh, the, the four-toed statue. And Ezra James Sharkington. <laughs> and a Dharma shark and they're all underwater. Back on the plane, Kate bumps into Jack as she's taken back to her seat by the marshal who bumps Sawyer. Sawyer watches Doc Arts nag Hurley into saying his Mr. Klux slogan. Hurley says he won the lottery and Sawyer warns him not to tell everyone but Hurley says that he's not worried because He's the luckiest man alive. Jin and Sun are aboard, but well, Jin's a jerk again, and he's telling Sun to button up her blouse. Locke is there as well, and he chats with Boone. Boone! Boone says his trip was to rescue a sister who didn't want to be rescued, and Locke says he had a great walkabout. Cindy then calls on the plane for a doctor, and Jack comes to the rescue with an assist by Saeed. They pull Charlie out of the lavatory, and he's choking on something.
happening. Jack pulls a bag of heroin out of his throat. Charlie says, I was supposed to die. Jack returns to his seat and looks for Desmond. Nobody has seen him. As the plane lands, Saeed studies a photo of Nadia. Jin looks at a watch. Charlie gets hauled off by the cops and Locke is rolled off in a wheelchair. At LEX, Jack is paged and he's told that they lost his father's coffin. Oh! Kate takes down the marshal in the bathroom and escapes with his gun. She gets in the elevator with Sawyer. He notices her handcuffs but says nothing and she jumps into a cab and finds Claire already inside. She pulls her gun and makes the driver speed off. Jin is stopped at customs and they find a pile of cash in his suitcase and take him away. Sun says only no English. <laughs> Jack meets Locke at the lost and found. Locke says they lost one of his bags and Jack says they lost his father. Locke says they only lost his father's body. Jack asks about Locke's paralysis and gives Locke his card saying that nothing is irreversible. Now on the island, we see Juliet hit the bomb again, but after the white light, an eye opens. It's Kate in a tree still on the island. She finds Miles and Jack and the exploded swan hatch post failsafe key. Sawyer runs up and hits Jack yelling, you were wrong. Hurley and Jin, meanwhile, are nearby with the Dharma van and a dying Saeed. Jin leaves to get Jack. Jacob comes out of the forest telling Hurley he died an hour ago, but that Hurley can save Saeed by taking him to the temple along with the guitar case. Back at the pit, Kate hears Juliet and Jack and Sawyer try to get her. They tell Jin to get the van to pull some wreckage away. Sawyer climbs down to Juliet. Juliet says it didn't work and that she hit the bomb so Sawyer would have never come to the island and could go home. They kiss and she says that she has something important to tell him but dies. Sawyer carries her body out and tells Jack that it's his fault. Jack checks on Saeed and says he can't save him. Hurley says he can. Meanwhile, in Jacob's beach lair, Ben realizes Jacob's body is gone and wonders why Jacob didn't fight back. Unlock tells Ben to get Richard. Richard shows Ben Locke's body. Ben refuses to tell Richard what happened inside, so Bram grabs Ben and some guards and heads back to the base of the statue. Unlock tells Bram and his men that Jacob is dead. They start firing, Unlock disappears, and the smoke monster appears and takes them out. Unlock reappears and tells Ben, I'm sorry you had to see me like that. Sawyer and Miles take Juliet's body to bury it while Jack, Jin, Kate, and Hurley head off to bring Saeed to the temple. Sawyer makes Miles hang back and tell him the important thing that Juliet wanted to tell him just before she died. Miles does his magic and says Juliet said that it worked. Hmm. Meanwhile, Hurley and his friends climb underground and find Montan's skeleton. They're captured by the Temple Others and taken to the leader, a Japanese man who asks who they are. Cindy appears and tells them that they were on the first plane. The man says to shoot them, but Hurley says that Jacob sent them, and they ask him to prove it. They open the guitar case and find a giant wooden ankh. They break it open and find a message inside. The man asks all of their names, and when he hears them, he says to bring Saeed to the spring. They're told that the paper says that if Saeed dies, they're all in a lot of trouble. Inside the temple, they notice that the water in the spring is murky. The man cuts his hand and puts it in, and it doesn't heal. They say that treating Saeed has risks, but Jack says to do what you gotta do. They lower Saeed into the water and flip over an hourglass. Saeed starts to thrash and bubble, but they hold him under. They eventually pull Saeed out when the sand runs out, but the man says that Saeed is dead. Jack tries to resuscitate him, but Kate tells him to stop. Cindy, along with the kids, Zach and Emma, bring them food. Sawyer and Miles are captured and brought in as well. 
Hurley is taken to meet with the man who says that Saeed was beyond saving. He asks when Jacob is coming, and Hurley tells him that Jacob is dead. They panic, sound an alarm, prepare an ash ring, and fire up a flare. Back at Jacob's lair, Ben realizes that Unlock is the smoke monster and that he'd been used to kill Jacob. Unlock tells Ben that Locke was sad and pathetic, but was admirable at least because he didn't want to leave. But unlike him, Unlock says he wants to go home. They emerge on the beach just as they see the flare, and everyone points their guns at Unlock. Richard tells everyone not to shoot. Unlock tells Richard that it's good to see you out of those chains. Mm. Richard's eyes go wide with recognition, and he says... You? Unlock beats him unconscious, tells everyone he's disappointed in them, and then picks up Richard's body and heads inland. Back at the temple, Hurley says it looks like they won't be allowed to leave, but he's told that they're just trying to keep him out. Kate tells Sawyer that they were captured by the others again. Sawyer says that he doesn't want to kill Jack, but he wants him to suffer. The others come to get Jack, and he fights, but suddenly, Saeed sits up, and he says, What happened? And thud. And that's the two-part season premiere of season six of Lost in under eight minutes. We're going to take a short break, catch our breaths, and then we'll share our thoughts on LAX. We'll get to our thoughts on LAX, the season premiere of season six, and get to your fantastic feedback in you all, everybody. But first, we wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. Audible has more than 60,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and features audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of the transmission, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Can't think of a book? Well, Dano Camera on the blog has a suggestion. It's The Wastelands, which is the third book of Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. And in the book, one character uses time travel to prevent the death of another character, and that causes a new chain of events. And as a result, both of them are gradually driven crazy because they become increasingly aware of the two timelines. Ironically, Dano Camera says the character that is saved lives in 1977. Very interesting. I'm a huge Stephen King fan i'm hoping to get around to this series eventually <laughs> it's a long one yeah but this uh, audiobook is narrated by the late great frank mueller it's 18 hours and you can make it your free pick with this offer for a free audiobook of your choice go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission that's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission all right jen here we are at the beginning of the end of the season premiere of season six of lost lax and uh, we saw the first hour on sunset on the beach yeah. and then we saw the rest with the rest of the nation but what did you think the first hour sitting there on the beach was magical i mean you, just hearing everybody's reactions and being around that energy i mean i've said this before but that's like it's the highlight of my year whenever I get to watch Lost on the Beach. Yeah, I mean, you know, seeing it on a 30-foot screen doesn't doesn't hurt. Um, I actually picked up a lot more when I saw it on television. Yeah, of course, so when you have I. the closed captioning and you're not, you know, you're not still busy yelling when something's happening to kind of figure out what's going on. But just overall, uh, definitely that first hour was, uh, I, I loved it. It was just full of what? What? You know, yeah, you, you exactly. had to come up with more OMGs. Geez, geez, you know, it was it was it was really great. Uh, the second hour really seemed a lot shorter. I mean, there didn't seem to be as much in that second half. It confused the heck out of me. I actually, oh, 
I actually went to bed angry. Remember that well, night? Because of the because of all of the new people. Because of all the new people. I mean, here we are at the end, and we're starting to wrap things up, and you know, we're 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 starting to see connections, and we're starting to think of how it might end. And here are these new people. What are we supposed to think? About these new people. Well, in a way, they're, I, I think personally, as far as the plot goes, they're old people. They're not people that we haven't been aware of, but you're right that they are new characters, new faces. But unfortunately, that's kind of lost modus operandi. I mean, they've you had the Tailies come in, then the, you know, the Freddies, and then just every season has its mm-hmm. own new bunch of folks. Um, but I do agree that there's kind of this impatience that's kind of creeping up because you're so worried that they're going to run out of runway before this thing really gets going because there's so much stuff. But it scares me. I think the the really big question that we were all waiting for was, does the plan work? Does the bomb go off negating everything that happens so Oceanic Flight 815 can land safely? Or does absolutely nothing happen and they're still stuck on the island and they've got a new bunch of problems? Well, well, what did they do? They have it both ways. They they want their cake and eat it too. And they gave us these two depictions of what follows that flash. It's an interesting device. I mean, there's this movie called Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow where oh, yes. you, you see her and, and she's in two different timelines and what happens in one timeline depends on what happens in the other timeline. And, you know, that's an hour and a half long movie and I'm really worried about how much of these two timelines they think they're going to be able to get away with in this one season because it's frankly it's a bit much well I mean I, I it, it is interesting because it feeds that sense of curiosity of the what if and I will admit although I was not a fan of the let's see what happens if the plane lands scenario something about the way that they've done it so far at least those brief scenes on the plane were just a little intriguing enough just a little both a mix of fun and I think insightful enough that it was worthy of some analysis but I agree with you that I'd like for everything to just sort of come together in the next three or four episodes because I want the rest of the season to just be everyone together, everyone on the island. Let's get this party started. Let's get the war on, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really kind of the frustration. Um, But, you know, they're calling it a flash sideways. I think it's important to point out as well that, you know, what's going on on the plane is presumably 2004. But what's going on on the island and when they show with the flare that they both see at the temple and on the beach, clearly everyone else is now together in uh, 2007. Luckily, you know, yes. that they're not exactly parallel because they're still offset by what three years. So there might be something interesting going on there. I'd love to see if maybe they can connect it. And it turns out to have been actually just one continuous timeline. Nonetheless, uh, we'll just have to wait and see what they're up to as far as that question is concerned. Right. Well, unfortunately though, another thing that they did because they're, you know, sort of rehashing what happened at the end of season five, where it was kind of, ambiguous whether Juliet, who may or may not have detonated the bomb, may or may not have died, we kind of had to watch a death scene again. It was heart-wrenching. It was, I mean, to see that scene again, you know, we kind of see her falling down the hole and then we see her die again in one episode it was really hard to watch i mean clearly they felt that we needed to have a very definitive answer because it was still it was very clearly open-ended um so they wanted to give juliet's character a fairly final 
farewell, but uh, it, it, it almost seemed like abuse. It almost seemed like, oh, they are grabbing that wound and ripping it open again. But I got to say, you know, I mean, Elizabeth Mitchell is a fantastic actress. I think that was a powerful scene. But Josh Holloway, I mean, from that scene and throughout the rest of the episode when he's just seething with rage, I mean, in terms of acting, I got to say he's he was the pretty standout great. for the whole. He's for pretty the whole awesome. Episode. Absolutely. And, and what did you think about, you know, I think uh, Juliet pulled a little Charlotte there. Yeah. Uh, yeah the whole thing about let's get coffee we'll go dutch it really reminded me of uh one of the last few scenes that charlotte has you know um she says turn turn it up i love geronimo jackson right, it, right. it reminded me of um charlotte so i think you know in the same way that uh, i'm not sure if the geronimo jackson thing came up again no the but the chocolate did yeah, um when when, when Daniel encounters little Charlotte. Right. So I think the same way that they paid off that sort of snippet of dialogue as she's drifting in and out of consciousness, maybe drifting in between times and worlds, that uh, they're going to do the same thing with Juliet. And that certainly, I think, would be would be kind of satisfying, especially because uh, Sawyer gets Miles to try and mm-hmm. de- dis- dis- determine what this message is that she couldn't tell him before she died. And he says that the message is... It worked. Mm-hmm. So what worked? Uh, was it the plan? I mean, I, it, uh, presumably that's what she meant because when she was actually alive and dying, the first thing she says is it didn't work. You know? yeah, so but now she's realizing that it did work. Yeah. I mean, what What would cause her to change her mind in between... I, I don't know. See, that's another thing that they're not ever going to be able to really tell us, I fear. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, she may have seen some of what we're seeing. She might be seeing some of 2007. Or at least I'd like to think so. We've got Sawyer walking around at, in L.A. being charming, his charming self, uh, provided he doesn't end up in Kate's clutches. You know, maybe there'll be an encounter with Juliet. Um, speaking of the Miles thing, you know, uh, they really went here with the hearing voices of the dead. I mean, he sort of had these... Uh, effects and sort of uh, feelings when he's walking over the grave, right. for example. But in this episode, when uh, Sawyer basically pushes him on top of Juliet's yeah. grave, there's this big dramatic sound and the camera shakes and it's very kind of poltergeist. Well, it's like his first flashback when we realize when, when he goes into that woman's house and, and he has the, the dust buster, it, it, the camera work is very similar to that. Okay, scene, so it was, I it was similarly intense there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, sometimes it's not so strong. I mean, maybe they're trying to tell us something with that. Uh, well, another big, I think, reveal, of course, was Unlock's line. I'm sorry you had to see me that way. I love that line. Everybody screamed on the beach. It was absolutely fantastic. So I guess uh, if you want one answer, I mean, among answers, it's the smoke monster has been uh, unlocked. I mean, basically that person walking around that's not Mm Locke is in fact the smoke monster. And, you know, the same thing that they pulled in in season five where uh, Locke, or unlock disappears, smoke monster appears, then uh, Alex. Alex appears, disappears, and then Locke comes back. So they've been giving these hints, but it was very good to get that solid answer. The whole conversation he has with Ben toward the end, do you know what he was thinking when he died? I mean, to me, that now I have no idea how long Locke has been two people or the smoke monster or, or whatever we're supposed to think. Right. I mean, that continues to be, uh, I think, a major question on our podcast and fans are still debating it uh, elsewhere. Um, at first I thought, oh, so because he's saying that, do you remember what the last thing that Locke was thinking mm-hmm. that, oh, well, he must have been the smoke monster even when he was being strangled off the island. The smoke monster has been off the island. But then I thought, 
Well, I think the other possibility and likely possibility is that when Unlock or the smoke monster takes the form of someone, they do, as a result of maybe scanning them, has within it, you know, a significant portion of that person's memories and experiences. So it might not necessarily be that it goes back that far. It might still be, you know, only after a certain point, uh, maybe after a Jira 316 lands and he has an opportunity to introduce himself by standing on the beach. Right. But you're still of the opinion that it goes further back. I will see... Clearly, the monster is not possessing Locke because there's still a dead Locke. That's right. That's right. On the beach. So, my theory has been that there are more. There is more than one Locke, or there has been for some time. And going back to when, though, I I don't know. It could have been from Locke's first encounter with the monster way back in season one. Oh, when he says it's the most beautiful thing he ever saw. Yeah. Then if that is unlock slash smoke monster, that of course he'd probably think highly of that encounter and experience with himself. Right. Oh, I don't know. I That's mean, actually you know that might actually work for me. Um, the other annex to the question, as we get the answer that uh, smoke monster equals unlock equals uh, something that can take the form of other people if not possessing their body. I guess it wasn't judging people up until this time. It was probably weighing their worth or value as uh, someone to get the memories of and kind of take their form rather than a a judging thing. That's sort of what we were thinking from the beginning. So Mr. Echo was completely useless? I think Mr. Echo, because he did not reveal any kind of weakness, he was so resolute in his feelings when he was being defiant that the smoke monster said, well, this guy ain't going to be no use. He's not as weak as Locke was, so let's just whack him and and kill him. So So he exploits people people's weaknesses much the way Ben does. Well, that's an interesting observation, but I mean, I think that's probably what any good, you know, evil person yeah, does. But in any true. case, so we've determined uh, that what the smoke monster is in terms of unlock, but uh, is it established that the smoke monster is also the man in black, the person on the beach in the opening sequence of season six having this lifelong, centuries-long feud with Jacob? Well, I think so, mm-hmm, because of that the conversation that uh, Locke has with um, Albert. Right. Albert, um, or no, Locke says to Albert, it's good to see you out of those chains. And Albert looks completely shocked and says, you? Yes, I. that's what it is. I mean, I think that's where you get it from because now we know, you know, uh, Albert has said that Jacob made him this way in terms of not aging. Mm-hmm. So Albert's probably been around for a while. That ties into the chains, which clear. I mean, it's, it, I think they really want you to connect that, that screams to Black the Black Rock, Rock yeah. and the slaves there. And we've seen the chains. So, okay. So now Albert's been around long enough to be probably witness to this long, long battle between Jacob and the man in black. So right. that would explain the you. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, giving us answers, they they kind of gave us uh, a, a number of them much earlier in the season than I expected them to. And uh, how about the smoke monster scene where it takes out all of the, the oh guys with the guns? Oh, my gosh. I was... <laughs> my, I... I couldn't pick up my, my chin off the sand. It was shocking. Just... Really good. And, it was amazing. I mean, the smoke monster has had good days and bad days. You know, when it was swinging Mr. Echo around, it was a little awkward. But I think it did really well in Jacob's uh, foretold statue chamber. But the fact that it was a smart monster, I mean, when it demonstrated kind of a consciousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Bram... To show us as well that Ash is something to keep the monster away from you. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh-huh, you can't get me, Smoke Monster. And then what does the Smoke Monster do? Just knocks <laughs> down a, a, a pillar, and so it knocks the gun out of Bram's hand, and the guy dies. And how, by the way, does Bram die? <laughs> With the stake through the heart. That Isn't is that fabulous. great? A character named Bram mm-hmm. dying 
through a stake in the heart. I am certain that you actually said when we realized his name was Bram that that would be the most likely way for him to expire. Did I, mean, I really? We got to go back in the podcast archives and see if that was true. But I mean, it's almost ridiculous now looking at it. Then how else would a guy named Bram die? But exactly. again, that was that was pretty darn well done. So the smart, the, 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 I mean, I'll tell you what, on the beach, people were cheering. I mean, it was uh-huh. like, go smoke monster. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just thought that was really, really great. Now, to jump back just a bit right before mm-hmm. the very smart smoke monster takes them out, it seems like Unlock or Man in Black or Smoke Monster uh, gives them an opportunity to stand down. He says, oh, you know, you must be Jacob's bodyguards. Right. And I think, first of all, it's kind of weird that Jacob needs bodyguards. I mean, yeah. that, that seems like kind of a corporeal, physical, human, mortal thing well, to necessarily also- have. Unlock uses a very interesting choice of words. He tells them, you're free, which implies that their service to Jacob is roughly akin to some kind of indentured servitude. Right, or or possibly slavery. I mean, that that, that is true. I mean, um, he did seem like he was kind of he, or at least pretending that he was doing Bram and friends a favor. Like, oh, you know, right. you know, more work to be done. All is well. Why don't you just yeah, come and have a barbecue? they're not falling for no, it. No, well, yeah. they seem very, very loyal to Jacob. But yeah, I think the, the fact that he said you were free was a very specific and careful choice of words. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get to the temple. I mean, yeah. we had been hearing about this for years, literally. I mean, when was the, the end of season first... three? I think they started talking about going to the temple for at safety. the end of season right, three. Right, yeah. right. So, Finally, we see the temple and, you know, instead of just the outer wall, I guess we've just been dealing with the perimeter all of this time Mm -hmm. um, that they go under the wall, which seems like a poor wall. But in any case, (laughs) so we get the temple, very impressive, very, I don't know, Aztec, Mayan. I'm not really good on that kind of ancient architecture. I I can't really place it either. It seems really to be kind of a hodgepodge of styles. I think that's one of the things that I'm definitely picking up, especially, you know, with all of the the mix, the hodgepodge. You said you had the best word of, of, of different mythological elements. I mean, they really love on this show the anachronisms, you know, mixing things from different times that right. shouldn't be together and and different cultures. Well, and, you have and, the and, leader of the Temple Others. He looks like some kind of, he's, he's a Japanese man. He looks like some kind of Buddhist priest and he's among these people dressed in hippie <laughs> outfits. Like, like Cindy looks like, like somebody out of Woodstock. Right. So, so right. and that Japanese guy, his uh, character's name, I don't think it's been said, Dogen. but it's Dogen. Yes. And, you know, it's really surreal to see because Dogen is actually the founder of Soto Zen Buddhism, right. which just happens to be the branch of Buddhism that my family on my father's side uh, comes from. We, mm-hmm. we the, My grandfather built a Soto Zen temple in Waipahu. But in any case, you know, Dogen looks like he actually stepped right out of uh, feudal Japan. I mean, mm-hmm. samurai movie time. I mean, I, I, I that is not accidental I think that we're really seeing the core of the history of this island that because we know it can move because we know it's been around a lot it's probably played a part in the mythologies and tales and legends of a number of cultures around the world I think that that's a fantastic direction for them to be going yeah I like that a lot very wide reaching but very very cool so here at the temple there's the temple spring which is the first place you take a guy who needs help (laughs) but they noticed that very recently it seems that the temple water became became murky and muddy mm-hmm. and i guess that's because jacob's not around well anymore. that would be the conclusion that you draw i mean it's never that simple on this show but <laughs> it would be kind of reasonable to assume that jacob's 
passing caused it to go murky. So does that mean that uh, that kind of basically his the lack of his life force makes things go bad in the temple water? Or does that mean his life force is in the temple water and has been waiting there? Because I thought it was surreal that they seemed to think it was a problem, but then immediately decided to continue with their treatment of Saeed yeah. and put him in. Yeah. So if they know it doesn't work, then they, I think there is a protocol. I think there is something that they expect to happen when the water is not clear. Right. Well, when Saeed dies, they, they tell Jack that your friend is dead. And it's very matter of fact. It's right. it's like, it's not, oops, my bad. It's as if they're saying, well, he's dead, but they're thinking that something else is going to happen. Right. Now. I mean, I, the way that he said it almost sounded to me like, uh, like your mom saying that, uh, uh, enjoy the cookie dough, but uh, when we come back and the bread is rising and there's, you know, sort of like uh-huh. this is a step in the process. If there's anything you need to do, do it now because something else is going to happen. Uh-huh. So I, I definitely really, I, I think you can make a case that that was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. The only thing that undermines it is the fact that the translator dude seems sh- just as shocked. That yeah, he can, yeah, I mean, that does. everybody freaks out. It seems that, oh, Saeed's back. And if that's a surprise, then maybe it wasn't part of the grand <laughs> plan. I don't know. Now, uh, interesting trivia. How long was Saeed held underwater thrashing and bubbling before he died i don't know about a minute it was one minute and eight seconds one really yep but it was a guy on twitter chat uh, i think his name was clay he was tweeting to doc jensen at entertainment weekly but mm-hmm. another nice little piece of trivia there as far as saeed's character that very brief conversation that he was talking to hurley was about i think that's kind of illustrative as well you know he goes um i've tortured many people i've murdered mm-hmm. wherever i'm going after this i think it's going to be very unpleasant uh-huh. is that foreshadowing as far as well, we're I don't know. I think I think the temple is pretty not very fun. <laughs> well, it also depends on what is in Saeed's head when he comes back to life. I mean, when he wakes up and says, what happened? It, 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 is it just me or did it sound like a different voice coming out of his mouth? It, it sounded like Naveen Andrews, but using his natural accent. Right. I think there was a, I don't know if there was an accent there or maybe when he was, but it could be that he was just given directions on the set to say something very exhaustive, very exhausted and tired. Mm-hmm. And it just comes out with the, that accent. But, uh, I think that there's a fair, because he came back from the dead, there's a fair case to be made that he might even not be Saeed. And do you think Possibly. he's, do you think he is Jacob? Jacob's in Saeed? I don't know. Jacob, Saeed as Jacob is an interesting prospect just because of, you know, Saeed's character, the, the arc that he's taken. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, because you think about it this way, if Saeed is Jacob, then who? You know, the man in black is Locke and it's going to come down between Locke and Saeed. And that's really not a a place where I really thought it would go. Right. I mean, I think the obvious choice would have been Jack to be the to be the representative of 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 Jacob in the battle with the man in black. But uh, I don't know. I mean, so if that is what they're doing, I think that's almost kind of an interesting choice. It will definitely give Naveen Andrews a great deal of more. Uh, work to do, you know, a way to prove himself and demonstrating demonstrate his acting chops, but that would certainly be surprising. Um, I definitely noticed when uh, Hurley was saying goodbye to uh, Saeed and Miles is just looking on. He also looks at Saeed's body kind of funny. I, didn't I mean, if he's that. if he's if he's mentioning if he's sensing the dead, then there's something there is something unusual about uh, Saeed's dead body as well. Now, uh, one thing I noticed about the temple, obviously, very basic technology i mean the guns kind of go against that but like right. everything seemed to be mechanical they had an hourglass instead of watches or clocks they had uh 
the weird flare that was made out of bamboo. I mean, that definitely is in line with what we understand of Jacob. Right. That he's not a fan of technology. So I thought, you know, that's kind of definitely this is an outpost in, in line with Jacob's philosophy. Right. Except I really don't know what Jacob's philosophy on guns are. But... Well, I'm sure Jacob is a very practical person and he realizes <laughs> that if it comes down to a choice between no guns and, and guns, <laughs> he'll take the guns. Right. If the army o unlock or man in black or smoke <laughs> monster has a number of modern weapons you don't want to be standing there with a bunch of sticks or slingshots like like alex's slingshot that's right that's right (laughs) so you know you're i like that he's a practical dude well let's get to the other i don't know timeline Uh uh, world universe they're calling it the sideways they don't actually they don't like the word alternative because they feel that that diminishes its value and that they're saying both of these storylines are equally valid Um, but in any case uh, i'll just say off the island because it is Uh at least for now what did you think i mean that was the first omg moment of the episode when the white flash fades and they pull back and they're back on the plane well the first thing i thought that you know we we see jack's face at first i thought it was christian shepherd because profile of his face because john terry and matthew fox look exactly alike so that would that well that would have been an even bigger omg i guess if that was who was on the plane but what did you think as far as uh, the whole scenario that we sort of see our characters some of them similar some of them different but there's you know Basically, they're trying to get you to focus on the things that are different. Well, there are so many little differences between what we see in the pilot and what we see in this episode that I don't even... I don't even think I have them all yet. You I, know, I, I don't I, think I've I've seen them all yet. I think that's what you know. Hardcore fans are definitely going to love about this episode. I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure if you're watching the show for the first time, you're going to pick up on any of that. But right. for us, you know, it's pretty fantastic. I like that. You know, this time Jack is the one that basically freaks out when there's turbulence, uh-huh. and Rose is the person that has to reassure him. And of course, this time Bernard comes back from the bathroom. And, yeah, you know, but he feels like he's gonna. He, he what does he say? He I, I could have died feels, in there. Yeah, I know how I know how laundry <laughs> feels. But you know, again, that was. Kind Kind of sweet to see. Um, I think the key moment on the plane is when uh, Desmond shows up in yeah. Jack's row. Yeah. And Jack says, do I know you from somewhere? Right. And I mean, does, do you think that he's recognizing what's what's happening on the island? I don't know. He's on? either recognizing Desmond from what went on in the island or he's recognizing him from the stadium. Ah, uh, that's right. They have met before. Well, right. actually, but... Desmond is on the plane. I mean, I guess that's another big one because we, from the storyline that we've understood for his entire life, mm-hmm. would not have led for him to be in, you know, Sydney trying to fly to LA. That's and, right. You know, he doesn't look like his uh, his charming but kind of uh, scraggly self. He's wearing a suit. He's looking mm-hmm. pretty good there. So he's actually, also wearing a wedding ring. He is. Yes, he is. When you you see, wow. Yes, you see his hand. He's wearing a wedding Well, okay, because I was about to ask, why do you think Desmond is on the plane? What do you think happens in his life that changes because he's not on the island anymore? Maybe he doesn't do the boat race around the world. He doesn't get the boat from Libby, mm-hmm. and he's not trying to impress uh, Mr. Whitmore. In fact, right. you know, he he's not looking like the the scraggly but dashingly handsome guy. He's uh-huh. looking like a success. Actually, the last time we've seen him wear a suit was when he was trying to impress, Mr. get that's a job right. with Mr. Yeah, Widmore. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So maybe he's, uh, maybe he's working for Mr. Widmore, and, uh, you know, that's why he's, he's dressed up so nice and wearing a suit and tie. He's also wearing a wedding ring. He has a wedding on his... Really? Yes. Oh, well, okay. What? 
he was going to get married in his other when right. he makes he these was, choices in his episode. He was engaged to Ruth, and he broke it off to join a monastery. That's right. He freaked out. So, mm-hmm. so again, so something is s- sincerely different with Desmond's life that leads him to be on the plane, dressed up nice, and apparently married to somebody. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that's that's a big deal, and I guess one of the big mysteries we're going to have to get answered in season six, which is what is Desmond doing on that plane. Mm-hmm. Also on the plane is Sun and Jin, our dear friends. But unfortunately, there isn't uh, years of on-island adventures and separation and wanting to get reunited. So they're back to their old selves and Jin's uh, jerky Jin again, you know, telling uh, Sun to button her top. I mean, definitely not uh, the loving couple that we know. I don't even think they are a couple. Why is that? I don't know. They, they, there seems to be this kind of level of professional courtesy between them that even in the pilot, they, mm-hmm. you could still tell they were married, mm-hmm. but here they're, they're communicating in a different way. Well, exactly, exactly. Somebody on our blog pointed out, I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned Desmond's ring, which I didn't notice, but somebody on our blog said Sun and Jin weren't wearing wedding rings. So mm-hmm. already there's kind of evidence that they're not maybe married, that things aren't going well. But also when uh, they're at the customs station and uh, Jin gets hauled off or not cl- right. declaring cash, the customs agent calls Sun Mrs. Paik. Pike. Oh, interesting. And, and as far as I know, I mean... Some people were saying that, well, Korean women keep their family name. But no, on Lost, on the island, um, Sun has been referred to as she Mrs. Has. Kwan. She has. Juliet refers to her as Kwan. Right. And yeah. Sawyer says uh, Mrs. Kwan, you know, in, in, in the same episode. So I think that they're definitely trying to tell us something there. And, you know, he's looking at the watch. Now, you remember the watch was from he's he's basically on a business trip mm-hmm. to deliver two watches, one to a business partner in Australia and one to L.A. So obviously they're on that leg of the trip. And back then people were translating the Korean inscription and it was pretty innocuous. It just said, you know, uh, congratulations, mutual cooperation. Uh, thanks mm-hmm. for our business partnership. We're working on our business together. Signed, Mr. Paik. So. You know, that, again, he's on a business trip and maybe the two of them are just employees and not a couple with right. Mr. Pig. So I definitely kind of am curious about that uh, storyline as well. Um, now, also on the plane, our friend Hurley. Um, but for him, this trip is a particularly good trip. He's a very lucky person, he says, and nothing bad ever happens to him. And it seems like he's a very successful businessman. Right. He's In fact, we see he talks about, you know, the Outback and <laughs> trying to... <laughs> how can they have the name, control the name of Outback? It's just, it's just a place. But in any case, <laughs> so he wasn't on the trip to try to figure out what was going on with the numbers. He's on the trip because he was on out there on business. Yeah, I mean, he's doing research. And how do we like that the person who gives him advice like don't tell people that you're a lottery winner is Sawyer. That's now, that's very interesting for a number of reasons. Well, I mean, basically, it looks like Sawyer is seizing on Hurley as his next mark. I mean, when he was in the prison, his strategy for that dude with the money was Costanza. Yeah, was you know let me protect you from other unscrupulous individuals because you know you need help. You can't be just going around uh-huh. talking about this money. Let me be your guy. I think he's up to the exact same thing. Oh yeah, that is. Well, I don't know. I'm a Sawyer fan, so I'm biased. But it seems to me like there's this little. I don't know. There's this warmth and, and caring in his eyes that wasn't originally Aww. there. Well, I just think you think Holloway's hot. But, no, you know, uh, a little. I thought that maybe he was trying to be helpful, but then when he's in the elevator with Kate, he sees uh-huh. the handcuffs. He sees the security guards trying to figure out what's going on, and instead of saying something, he just 
tweaks her. You know, when they said we have a, a 341, he goes, mm-hmm. well, I wish I knew what a 341 was so I could tell you when I see one. And, you know, Kate <laughs> just sort of looks up. And so if he's basically helping her escape from the man, he's not on the side of the man. He's still anti-man. He's he's still a scoundrel. It- lovable scoundrel okay okay <laughs> so, um oh how great is it that jack was looking for a pen i loved that i was saying that when we were on the beach does anybody have a pen does anybody have if, if in fact the only thing that would have made that scene better was if it was boone that was trying to help jack find a pen on the plane i mean i think it was possible that they could have done that but in any case i thought that was kind of a nice touch and i'm like so for whatever reason i did not connect that the the, the reason why he's missing his pen and that kate just happens to have a pen is because because when she comes out of the bathroom and fills him up, yeah. it's because she's stealing the pen. I love that. How could I have not noticed that? So thanks, Stubble, on the blog for pointing out what turned out to be pretty obvious, I guess. And I guess, you know, speaking of Kate, we should get to her character. I mean, she's mm-hmm. on the plane. Now, you know, on the island, we had nothing really to say about her because she's, again, not being particularly useful there, apart mm-hmm. from annoying Jack and Sawyer. But on the plane, she's back to kick-ass Kate. She's a fugitive on the run. She beats, you know, Edward in the bathroom and gets mm-hmm. out. I mean, that's I, in, in a way, I'm kind of happy to see that Kate again. It's, it just seems to me that sh- this is the one character on the plane that hasn't really changed between the mm. first flight and this flight. I mean, back in season one, when we first meet Kate, she is that person still. She could still kick Edward Edward's butt if she wanted to. Mm. She... The only difference is she got a chance to do it now. And it seems like she's the only one who's the same. That's an interesting point. I mean, I don't know. Uh, some some of the characters are kind of in line with what we've known. But you're right that in terms of the basic outline of what's going on in the off-island world, uh, there isn't much change for her there. But I got it. I mean, I think what my point is, is if there's anything that I'm willing to give this uh, alternative version of the future uh, some some room is that maybe they can do something with Kate for once. I mean, she's mm-hmm. really not been given much to do so far. So this could be the glimmer of hope. Yeah. Um, anybody else on the plane that uh, we mentioned? <gasps> Oh, yes. Boone. Boone and Locke. And Boone was there without Shannon. That's true. Um, But, uh, you know, kind of basically through narrative and dialogue explaining why Shannon's not there. Mm -hmm. But he had some of the best lines in terms of uh, double meaning. Didn't you think? He asks Locke after Locke explains what he was doing in Australia. You're not pulling my leg, are you? (laughs) Exactly. Pulling (laughs) my leg. And the best part, the best line for me was when he said, well, boy, if I ever get into trouble, I'm following you, buddy. Which is, of course, exactly what got Boone into trouble on the island. So very, very cool stuff. It was so good to see Booney. Definitely. Definitely good to see him again. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so Flight 815 comes in for a landing. And, uh, you know, as far as sequences go in this episode, sure, the dialogue was kind of awesome. The plot twists, the reveals, the new questions and mysteries. um, It wasn't really the special effects, I got to admit. The smoke monster was cool. But the whole thing with the the camera going under the water, I mean, as much as that was supposed to be shocking, I have to admit I've seen better effects on a a video game, on my Mm -hmm. Wii, I think, is basically what they do there. So it's... Certainly wasn't the special effects. Well, there were there are two things that Lost doesn't do very well. One of them is CG. Uh huh. The other is hair. Hair. Well, like hair. the like the wigs. Wigs. <laughs> Just the worst wigs. Like Emily Duravin, she's such a beautiful woman. She's so gorgeous, but you see her in the cab for the first time in this episode, and she's got this this 
this <laughs> big pile of straw on her head. Why can't okay. they give her a better yes. wig? Right. So, I mean, but we've been picking on like Boone's hair and everyone's mm-hmm. hair. So, yes. Okay. So, special effects, not so good. Hair, hair, hair's been stronger. What was I talking about? Oh, so the closing sequence. <laughs> the thing that I loved about this episode, the thing that actually got my heart uh, going, my, my eyes welling up was the music. This episode specifically and the landing sequence, uh, Michael Giacchino, I mean, fantastic. If he doesn't get an Oscar this year, there's something wrong. I went back and played that scene like three or four times. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to hear the music. I didn't look at the screen. It is such a great theme. You hear all the elements of the other themes in the show, of course, the Mm -hmm. main themes of the show, including a little bit of Jacob's theme, which I thought was kind of interesting in, in that mix. But just the way that it was... Uh, hopeful and swelling, just like it should. It had the little bits of piano. In any case, that that landing sequence, I got to say, was probably my favorite uh, sequence on the entire for the entire episode. Yeah, it's up there for me and, too. And I'm making a bet with uh, Matt from Keys to Lost. You know, the other mu- the music nerd podcast about mm-hmm. Lost. I think that that theme, because of its placement where the plane lands safely, I think that theme is going to be key to one of the last sequences of the entire show. Yeah. That whenever something is unfolding in slow motion in episode six sixteen, it's it's going to have that theme. That's how good I think it was. So the plane lands. Uh, we have, have the, how about that conversation with uh, Locke and Jack um, at the Lost and Found? That was such a strange conversation because we're supposed to think of Jack still as kind of the man of science, and Locke is going places in that conversation where you can just imagine Jack must be thinking that he's kind of nuts. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Locke says some really interesting things to me. First of all, you know, he says, he basically corrects Jack. No, they. how could they possibly know where your father is? Because they didn't lose your father, just his body. Mm-hmm. And that separation, obviously, of the person and the body is very significant to from episode one, season one of yeah, Lost. Exactly. So I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, then, you know, Jack takes a natural curiosity about Locke's being in a wheelchair and says, mm-hmm. how did it happen? And he goes, well, you know, don't worry about it. It's, irre- irre- it's irreversible. And Jack says... Nothing's irreversible. And just there's a beat. Uh-huh. And you're like, well whoa, you know, clearly something's happening there. And I, I don't know about you, but do you think that, you know, it, it right now it just hits me like a pile of bricks. We've had on the plane a spinal surgeon and a guy with a spine condition, except that we didn't know on the island he had a spine condition because he uh-huh. couldn't walk. But now it seems that the bringing together of those two characters seems pretty natural. I mean, perfect. Like, yeah. of course those two need to get together. So do you think that we might see Jack performing surgery on Locke and that's, getting that guy back on his feet off the island. Beautiful. That's beautiful. That's just, that, that's so beautiful. Definitely. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see it, but you know, part of me wants to see that again. I'm surprised by how much I like this alternative stuff. Like what happened if the planes land? Because uh-huh. I was really sure I was, I was going to say, this is a waste of time. Can we get back to the island and finish this war? But those little things like that, I'm like, I kind of want to see how that could play out too. Yeah. So I got to hand it to the writers. They tried to have it both ways. Uh, there's that brief part of me that's like, mm, I don't know dudes, but I'm along for the ride. I mean, we all are. I mean, yeah. it's not like we have another choice, um, but now <laughs> I'm thinking that whatever they do, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised. So this could be pretty darn awesome. Yeah. 
Oh, good Lord. So we're past 45 minutes here. We haven't gotten to the really smart people about that we have on our <laughs> podcast, but uh, is there anything else in LAX that well, uh, you wanted to comment when on? When Hurley asks Jack, can you save Saeed? And Jack says no, and, and Hurley says, well, you're going to have to let me do it. I swear I got chills. Oh, everybody cheered. Another moment for cheering on the beach. Oh, Hurley, awesome. You know, I mean, now that he's sort of the basically it looks like the person who can see Jacob, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I thought maybe Jin might see Jacob because Jacob did touch Jin in that weird sort of jumping thing that they did uh-huh. at the end of season five. But no, Hurley's the only person that can see Jacob. So that makes Hurley a significantly more important person here in season six. Mm-hmm. And just like Australia in the game of risk, you know, Hurley could be key to the whole game. Yeah. So I think that's cool. I, I like that he had uh, he had a lot of good lines. I mean, the Outback conversation, as we mentioned, uh-huh. um, the, the when, when he hears Jacob coming and he starts fumbling with the gun and he says, <laughs> I, I, I've got a gun and I know how to use it. That I thought was was pretty darn cool, mm-hmm. um, and he even had that line when uh, when Miles asked, "Oh, are you going to sing Kumbaya?" and he says, "It's not a it's not a guitar, dude." And you know, <laughs> but actually, the reason why that stood out to me was because I was sure I was sure that they were going to hold out that guitar for the rest of the season. That mm-hmm. that guitar would be opened up at the very end, or if so, ever, if ever. Yeah. So the fact that they they opened it up, and uh, in fact, when it when they opened it up uh, at the temple, you said something like, "We happy." <laughs> like you know, we were just going to see a gold, oh, yeah, a gold yeah. glow, like in Pulp Fiction. But no, they actually opened it up, so that was cool. So, yep, uh, definitely a, a good episode for Hurley. Um, as far as lines of dialogue that stood out, I thought it was kind of interesting the way that uh, Albert says, uh, basically. Asking me what's in the shadow of the statue doesn't damn mean statue. Yes, asking me what's in the shadow of the damn statue doesn't mean you're in charge. I mean, <laughs> specifically because you know that line, that question, and the answer, you know, right. seemed like such an important and significant, deep thing to happen. Uh-huh. Sort of like, uh, you know, uh, what did one snowman say to the other mm-hmm. snowman, or or live together, die alone, and just like live together, die alone, it goes from being uh, really you know, poignant thing to say to being something that's kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. and stupid, just like that, that one line uh-huh. of dialogue. And now, you know, the the question of what's in the shadow of the statue seems kind of ridiculous. So that definitely seemed like kind of a weird direction to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the other line that I wrote down that I got to admit, I kind of rolled my eyes at was when Jin uh, basically surmises through forensic analysis that yeah. we must be flashing through time. Why do you say that? Because we have the headache and we have this and we have that. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just a little weird. And it reminds me of that uh, those uh, people that do lost parodies on YouTube with the little puppets and uh-huh. the action figures. And yeah. they, ba- they basically made fun of the fact during season five that, the, the, that you knew that the flashes and jumping around through time stopped. Because somebody said they stopped. Right. Like, oh. Like, yeah. yeah like Juliet said, I think it stopped. Right. So now you've got Jin saying, that must have been a flash through time, given this inf- I mean, in terms of, I think, being a little too much exposition, I, that definitely went a little bit too far. Well, but. talking about awkward lines, Dogen, I don't like the way English tastes on my tongue. You didn't like that? No. It I, There's something about it that really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if it was the delivery or... I don't know. There was something about that line that was just very cheesy and very obvious. <laughs> you know, actually, one thing that I will say about the the actor, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, he's mm-hmm. actually a very well-known Japanese actor. And I'll, I'll tell you, when you joked about the others looking like they were stepping out of the 70s, like they were a bunch of hippies, mm-hmm. I agree that there's sort of a level of skepticism when they show up at this temple and, oh, great, here's a whole other bunch of people. And they could just sort of come across as cartoonish and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But Hiroyuki Sanada, in his brief and immediate introduction, I thought, 
wasn't cheesy. I thought that he carried with him such weight, such dignity or knowledge or something mm-hmm. that you immediately respected him and his leadership in this group. It could have gone completely in another direction if That's any true. other actor comes out of that temple and basically says, who are you? I mean, it could have been, I mean, what if it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson or something? I mean, <laughs> so I think that Hiroyuki Sonata is going to be a significant character because because of his history, because he has performed basically in movies with uh, Feudal Japan and the old warlords and mm-hmm. stuff. I think that he's going to be bringing a lot of depth to his character. And Carlton Cuse calls him the serious. Harrison Ford of Japan. Harrison Ford of Japan. I guess that's a good thing. So, okay, well, so maybe that line was cheesy, but I think overall that uh, Dogen's character is going to be oh, yeah. very, very interesting. I agree. Well, to wrap things up, uh, we had a couple of Sawyer nicknames. Uh, he called uh, Cindy... Earhart. Earhart, Amelia Earhart. And, of course, when he said goodbye to Juliet, Blondie, she had her nickname yeah. Blondie. Um, we had a couple of books in this episode. Right. The book in Montan's backpack is Fear and Trembling by Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. It's a retelling of the biblical story of Abraham. Yeah, and, of course, that story with Abraham and Isaac and all that, that's been brought up... <laughs> specifically in Lost and with the, mm-hmm. with the story of Desmond at the Monastery, for right. example, and as a parable for what some of the sacrifices happening on the show. Now, Desmond was also reading a book, and that was uh, Harun and the Sea of Stories by Salman Rushdie, and uh, thanks to Ralph on the blog for pointing that one out. Now, that book uh, is actually a children's story, but like most children's story, it's actually a, a story for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. But I thought the, the plot summary on Wikipedia was pretty interesting. It's a story about a storyteller who loses his ability to tell stories and one of the plot points is a plan to destroy the ocean using machines that are powered by electromagnetic induction very interesting so you got those electromagnetics you got the machines the sort of environmental kind of issue and uh, the story actually takes place on a moon called Kahani where half of the moon is always in light and the other half is always in darkness and of course dark and light and black right, and white is right. certainly key to us I like that the name of the moon is Kahani because the name of the freighter was Kahana, Kahana so yeah. there's that but I'm sure I'm the only person that thinks that's neat um, and so in the story there's this sad city where they basically get their happiness back when they can finally remember the name of their city mm. and when we talk about lost cities and we talk about remembering its name and then oh, you've right. got an island underwater I don't know there could be going a lot of interesting places there um, finally what I love to do with Lost of course is pointing out its locations um, mm-hmm. certainly most of the jungle stuff is happening out at Hiakea, so it's just a bunch of jungle. Um, the, the neat thing is the temple, the exterior of the temple, is actually was actually at Paradise Park, down below Paradise Park, sort of essentially where the um, where the station was. Oh, right. Um, so it's just sort of down uh, down around the base of that. There's a lagoon and everything. So that's mm-hmm. that the outside of the temple. The inside of the temple is actually built between two buildings, two sound stages at the Hawaii Film Studio. And even oh, now, it's cool. still standing there. So that's been kind of cool. Uh, not surprisingly, the airport was played by an airport. So that was Honolulu <laughs> International Airport. They were actually at baggage claim F. And that includes the little office, uh, the lost and found, where Jack and Locke talks. Uh-huh. And uh, the tunnel where Kate runs through and comes out. And that's also where they have the pickup area. By the way, when she runs, she she, she sneaks the code to the door uh-huh. into the secured area of the airport, runs through the door 
through a tunnel and comes out in an area packed with public. People. I know. I didn't understand that so sequence where, at all. What, yeah. what does that door exactly do for anybody? But in any case, sorry. So that was the airport, actually the airport. But interestingly enough, and I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast, the scene where Sun and Jin are stopped at customs and you know they're, they're, they get the money and, mm-hmm. and, and Jin is hauled away. That was actually not at the airport. They filmed it at a, a separate location at Pier 2 um, down by uh, Restaurant Row. Mm-hmm. And the reason, I mean, I don't know why they did it. I think it was filmed much later than the other airport scenes and you can basically tell they switched locations because the Honolulu Airport Honolulu Airport has a very distinctive kind of uh, streaked uh, concrete wall yeah. kind of pattern and when yeah. they're there it just sort of looks like the inside of the office but in any case those are the locations for season 6 episodes 1 and 2 or the first 2 hours of season 6 mm-hmm. but man we have nearly filled an hour with the uh, recap and our thoughts now it's time to get to you, you all, all everybody, everybody. Hey Ryan and Jen this is Matt from the Kent State University Lofties I have but three words to describe the premiere of this episode, the season. Holy freaking crap. That was amazing. I think for the first time ever, we actually got more answers than we did questions. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Dave in Alabama. First time calling in, but a long-time listener. Just finished watching the season premiere, and to repeat a phrase so often used by a frequent caller to your show, holy freaking crap. This has got to be the best season premiere. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Daniel from Boston calling you from New York City. What an amazing, amazing season premiere. I think this is probably the best season premiere ever. Um, lots of holy freaking crap moments. Hey, Jen. Hey, Ryan. It's Trip from Alabama. I uh, just watched the, uh, the opener a couple nights ago. Man, what a show. There are just so many things to talk about, and it's all good stuff. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is uh, Felix calling from Hong Kong, and I just saw the season premiere of the season six of Lost, and I would just like to say that I was completely blown away. Hey there, Ryan and Jen. It's Jesse again. Just uh, giving my holy freaking crap to the season premiere of Lost. I gotta be honest, the best part of the entire episode for me was not even like any action or anything. It was Locke and Jack talking about Lost Dads and Lost Knives. It just felt uh, like right. It was just like a perfect scene. I guess that's all I gotta say. Talk to you guys later. That was just a tiny appetizer platter of some of the calls that we got on the Lost Line this week, getting us started here in you all, everybody. Oh, yeah. Obviously, John from North Carolina should be getting residuals for his catchphrase. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We'll probably hear from him in future episodes. Now, we got a lot of great feedback, over 300 comments of the on the blog, over 200 emails, and, of course, a number of number of great calls. And we probably won't be able to fit it all, and, and I think we're going to keep our comments to a minimum and let you speak for yourselves because, frankly, you're probably sick of hearing our voices. So let's hear from Terry, Connor, and Amber. Hey, this is Terry from Michigan. Uh, I have a theory that they, when they blew up the bomb, it caused the island to submerge underwater, and because of that, there were repercussions, such as uh, the others and Dharma and everyone going down with it. And because that happened, Daniel Faraday was not born never got off the island. Miles never got off the island. Charles Whitmore never got off the island. So because that happened, Penny was never born. And because Penny was never born, Desmond never went on the race around the world to, you know, impress Charles Whitmore. And for whatever reason, then, Desmond ended up on the plane. 
and that's why him and Jack didn't know each other. And also, these as repercussions from the island blowing up or whatever, that probably explains why there's weird little things like why Shannon did, get out of the pl- did not get on the plane, because there's things that stem from the island that never happened, which caused these weird little uh, wrinkles or whatever. So, all right, thanks, bye. Hey, Ron and Jen, this is Connor from Mississippi. Um going to give the obligatory holy freaking crap about the season premiere. Um, you know, I don't really want to hit any of the big picture stuff. I just want to share some thoughts about uh, probably some smaller things. Um, most importantly, um, Claire, um, we, we see her in the taxi at the end of the episode, so I can assume that she was on the plane with him. Don't you think that if the plane was never going to crash, she probably would have never been on it. Because, you know, her psychic obviously knew it was going to crash. Like, it seemed like he, you know, was like, put her on that plane so she would crash on the island. So if it wasn't going to crash, then you know, he would have never told her to get on the island. He probably would have just stuck to his daily, you know, routine of badger and her to, you know, keep the baby and not give it up for adoption. So... Just wondering what you guys thought of that. Thanks. Hi, Ryan. Jen, it's Amber from Utah. And I promise I'm not going to cry this time because that was just too embarrassing at the season finale and not happening again. Um, So, holy freaking crap, doesn't even cut it. You should have seen me and my roommates, we were freaking out at the TV, screaming our heads off every five seconds about anything crazy going on. And um, an onk in the guitar case. I don't know. I thought it was kind of underwhelming with the envelope and everything, and, or the letter, I guess. Why have it in an onk, first of all? And second of all, why? Why? I expect it to be something better, something more powerful, I guess, coming from Jacob. And Saeed died. Well, whatever happened with Saeed, I cried a little bit. And me and my roommates went... Jack was trying to do the CPR. Um, it reminded us of, us of when he was trying to fix Charlie after he'd been hanged by Ethan. And so we're you know, pounding him on the chest and Kate saying, he's dead, let him go. So we thought maybe he'd come back to life if Jack hit him, but Jack didn't hit him. So, And also I agree with the rest of the world that Jacob's going to be in Saeed's body now. And how are they going to resolve the two of them? Now we have two timelines, okay, so... What? I'm even more confused now than I was at the end of season five. I love the show and can't wait to hear your opinions. Mahalo for those calls, <laughs> uh, starting with Terry. Um, actually, he says that uh, apparently that setting off the bomb is what caused the island to be mm-hmm. submerged. Do you think that's what happened? Um, I don't think we have a whole lot of evidence either way, but my preliminary answer is no. You know, actually, I would say that, too. I think someone actually says in this episode when they say it didn't work, it's if you think a bomb went off, would we still be standing here? Right, exactly. And I mean, given the basic construct of an island, although this is a special island, it would seem it would take more to do that. Well, we did see the island move or vanish, and mm-hmm. they kind of made that 
puddle in the water or the ripples in the ocean, that I think is closer to what would have caused the island to be underwater rather than the bomb going off. But as he points out, obviously there's a lot of differences in the what's going on on the airplane, and we're trying to figure those out. Connor from Mississippi points out one in particular, Claire, the psychic, really wanted her suddenly to be on that airplane. That specific but, airplane. Right, so now is that what happened? Why is Claire on the airplane? I mean, what what's the story with her background? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, do we actually see her on the airplane no we don't see her on the airplane actually and we don't know if she's pregnant actually in this storyline that's either. true so whatever it is that gets her on oceanic 815 if that's oceanic 815 uh, has yet to be told and finally amber from utah um not crying this time I, but she seems to be in a better you know mood. what it sounds like a blast to watch it with her i want to go watch it with amber there you go we'll come on over to utah actually there's a lot of hawaiian folks in utah um but i like what she said about you know jack didn't pound on his chest so yeah. maybe he just stopped a little short of saving Saeed. so what's going on with Saeed. I mean, do you think, I think that it's kind of significant that we're talking about somebody taking Saeed's body when that's not what we're seeing with the man in black right, right. and Locke, yeah. because they're, they've gone out of the way almost to a ridiculous extent to say that the person walking around <laughs> is separate from the body still lying in the sand. Right, right. So, I mean, I don't think those are one and, and the same thing, certainly, but uh, it makes me think of Christian Shepherd. Christian Shepherd's body specifically vanishes from the coffin. That's right. And then we see Christian Shepherd wandering around. So that, whatever that is, 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 is different from man in black and being a separate entity or or not right. I don't know what do you think about being underwhelmed by the Ankh I have to admit I saw okay he's carrying this large object and uh-huh. it was very impressive when they flipped it open but then he just cracks it open and takes out uh-huh. a note so why couldn't you just give Hurley uh, an envelope especially if he has to get on an airplane and you know carrying a guitar cases and simple there he flashes to the island on 316 he ends up in the water I mean, he has to keep track of this guitar case which is not a small thing when really what was important was the list maybe it's some kind of talisman Maybe it's some kind of protection that assures that they get back on the island in the first place. Well, I guess that could be it. And certainly it did have immediate significance to the, the to the temple others. So there was something about that. And obviously, Ankhs are important with the statue of Tower Red, as we saw, and even the, the necklace. Uh, oh, right. The Amy's necklace. That's right. So they love these Ankhs. Who are we going to hear from next? Drew, Neil, and Dixon. Hi, this is Drew from Chattanooga. And I just had a thought about the two dual timelines everybody's really concerned about. Um... I don't really think it's a cop-out. What I kind of hope it is is because as we're battling between fate and free will, I wonder if the writers are working ultimately two timelines are forced apart by a decision and how they'll ultimately come together at some point to try to say that this is what was meant to be and these things weren't. Um, kind of reminds me of one of my favorite song lyrics that you can't plan the ends and not plan the means. So um, I'm kind of eager to see where these two timelines might possibly meet. They might both be real and ultimately help us point to what's really most important to the writers. Uh, Hey, thanks for the podcast. I'll be listening. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Aloha. This is uh, Neil calling. Um, Wow. What a premiere. I was completely blown away by it. It, There were so so many things in this. uh, Yeah, I just... I can't even speak right now. A lot of questions that you guys brought up on the last podcast, I, I felt were definitely answered. Um, one thing I definitely want to bring up was the whole issue of black and white. Jacob and the other guy, now that we know that the other guy who's possessing Locke's body or whatever that is, is a black monster, I was actually thinking back to the first episode, or it wasn't the first episode, but somewhere uh, in the first season when Locke sees the uh, Monster, he says it was all white. 
I'm thinking, could that possibly be Jacob? Um, I don't know, just an idea. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to have to watch this again. It was truly amazing. Um, but I look forward to the podcast, and I love listening to you guys, and it's going to be sad when loss is over, and we're not going to get the transmission anymore, but I'm definitely going to be subscribing to the next podcast you guys make. Uh, keep up the great work. Mahalo. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jen. This is Dixon from Nashville, and it's good to have the transmission and loss back in my life. Um, great to hear you guys on NPR. Two quick thoughts for the show. Um, first, Desmond is in the hatch, and when we find out that he's pushing the button, um, it's because he's just saving the world. Um, is it possible that this sort of parallel universe, alternative universe where there's no island and no hatch um, is ultimately going to be one we see doomed to destruction um, in some sort of horrible apocalyptic manner because there's no button to push. There's no island. Um, and perhaps the destruction of the hatch in the island is is not the salvation of the world, but actually it's destruction. Second thing, um, something I want for Sawyer's character. Sawyer learned to love in the last season and trust, and uh, now he's really mad at Jack for Juliet's death, and um, rightly so. Um, I think Sawyer's character uh, this season, uh, to complete his redemption, has to learn to forgive. And that's what I really hope for for him and his character. Um, I think that would be a cool storyline and a real challenge. You know, we need to watch Josh Holloway uh, play that out. So those are my thoughts this week. Great to be back. And um, take it easy. Thanks for those calls. So Drew saying, you know, the dual timeline, the thing on the airplane mm-hmm. is not, you know, a cop-out. Do you, you don't think that necessarily. Do I don't you? think it's a cop-out. I'm just not very comfortable with it yet. Well, I like what he points out that, you know, we're seeing what might be the result of people making choices or free will. But we might also see that the end is what matters and that there, in fact, is an element of fate. So that yeah. does kind of go to the underlying ar- uh, sort of arc of the entire show. Neil saying that, is there a possibility that there was a different smoke monster or there might be another smoke monster? Because because Locke said that it was beautiful the first time he had that encounter well, with it. Well, if there's a Jacob and a man in black and one of them is a monster, I can't see why the other one couldn't be a monster, too. Well, the, the, we've been discussing how far back, you know, Locke hasn't been Locke and has actually been the smoke monster. Right. Not possessed by him, but, you know, taking his form. Mm-hmm. And certainly if that was the case back then, then he would say it was the most beautiful thing he ever saw, a brilliant white light, because he was talking about himself. Yeah, well, Mr. Echo did have a different experience with Right, that. and um, the smoke monster did not find Mr. Echo useful in any way. So that's, you know, things ended ended poorly for him. But we've been talking about black and white and mirror images. So why isn't there a counterpart to the smoke monster? Yeah, I think exactly. that's a fair point. And finally, Dixon saying, well, maybe they were being very truthful when they said we're saving the world and the stakes of a planet without the island and without some way to dissipate this energy is a world that's going to end horribly. They've been pulling back farther and farther. So it... You know, it's logical that the stakes now would be kind of, it would be global. It would be something huge. And that would certainly, I guess, be the only satisfying way maybe to kind of top everything they've topped every season. I also like what Dixon said about Sawyer, you know, that he's, we're talking about reverting and maybe he's just going to be this person who has no hope, who's just very angry. But maybe his actual point, maybe the end point he has to get to is forgiveness. Yeah. I kind of, I'd certainly like to see that as well. Next up, Roger, John, and Mr. Jacob. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Roger in D.C. Love you guys. This podcast is tremendous. I listen to it all the time. It's the first time I've called in. And how about these guys both living in parallel universes in opposites? And what I'm saying is, you know, you've got half your personality on the island and half your personality off the island. So 
off the island on the plane, you got helpful Saeed who wants to kick in the door to make sure Jack can get in to help Charlie. And then back on the island, you got Saeed, maybe still the cold-blooded killer who's worried about dying and going to hell. Off the island on the plane, you got Hurley, who's kind of confident in himself and says nothing bad ever happens to me. But on the up on the island, you still got Hurley, who's a little worried about the things that go on around him, whether or not he's good luck or bad luck. And then off the island, you got Jack, who's willing to help and take chances on this guy in his wheelchair who he just met in the airport and offer him some spinal surgery consultation. And on the island, you got Jack, who, you know, is, is Jack on the island doing a Jack thing, screwing things up and causing people to die. So that's my theory. Um, again, great podcast. I love it. Can't wait to hear you guys, what you got to say about Lost this weekend. Tremendous first episode. I'm totally hyped up about this uh, whole season. Thanks a lot, guys. Aloha, Jen and Ryan. It's John from Philadelphia. The one question that keeps coming back to me from these episodes stems from the smoke monster, Locke's comment that he wants to go home. Where is home? Surely he's not talking about some other planet like E.T. I think he may be talking about the interior of the temple as opposed to the basement of the wall where he met with Ben uh, at the end of last season. I think that's where he's headed with Richard on his shoulders at the end of the episode. Did he have some arrangement with Jacob that kept him from that place as long as Jacob was alive? Did that pool of healing waters that seems no longer to work, keep him away and those that were in there safe from his reach. The the smoke monster, man in black, Jacob's story is the most interesting for me right now. I'm starting to suspect that Jacob is not all that good, and the man in black, or the smoke monster, is not all that bad. After all, he gave Bram a chance to just leave the statue's interior. He only killed him once Bram shot at him. It seems that he kills after judging people, at least most of the time. On the other hand, Jacob's minions, uh, the others, kill many folks on 815 in cold blood and for no obvious reason. Um, Jacob's people are not all that good when you think about it. Uh, This is the story I want to see much more of as the season goes on, but I suspect we'll see much too much of the parallel non-815 crash world, at least for my pleasure. Take care and talk to you next week. Bye. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling in with thoughts on LAX. Um, uh, although the episode seems to have been very well received, it also appears that many people are understandably a bit apprehensive about the alternate timeline. Some don't want to have to follow multiple storylines, you know, one of them being off-island yet again, and other people think that the alternate universe is kind of irrelevant. And I have to admit, you know, though the scene was very beautiful and the music was phenomenal as always, there was a different kind of weight to seeing 815 land safely in an alternate universe. It wasn't quite as much of an, you know, an ah, they made it, even when compared with, like, the Oceanic Six returning in uh, the first part of There's No Place Like Home. It, it was more of this group is going this way and that group is going that way. Um, but, you know, regardless, I really have faith that the writers will make the alternate storyline very relevant, probably through Desmond, it seems. Um, one of my biggest questions is whether or not Locke was telling the truth about the walkabout a lot of people seem to think he's lying, but there's no denying that he's in a very different place and seems much closer to on island lock than the original lock was um, on 8.15, so we'll see about that. Um, okay, that's it. So glad that Lost is back, and I hope you guys had a great time at the uh, premiere on the beach. Adios. Mahalo for those calls. So Roger in D.C. saying, hey, you know, we're seeing sort of a split personality, different worlds for them, and that's what's going to rationalize this uh, storyline where they land safely in L.A. Well, I've said for a long time that I don't think either Jacob or the man in black are good or evil. I think they're um, 
they're two different sides of the same coin. And I think we can apply that to any of the characters. There's no good. I mean, there's good and bad in, in all of them. Well, but would do you think that if seeing and illustrating that sort of the two sides of Kate, the two sides of Saeed, the two sides of Jack is going to be, make it worthwhile to to even invest any time in that secondary storyline? If they do it quickly and they do it <laughs> and they illustrate it in a very vivid way I, I don't want them to drag it out because like i said the the two plot line thing it can go really bad or it can go really good depending on how they handle it well my primary concern is that i felt that i really saw all sides of the character both sides of each character when they were on the island yeah so, you know why couldn't we just see this all play out there but still a fair way to look at that john from philadelphia also kind of pointing out he doesn't think that the man in black is necessarily the bad person and i think mm-hmm. there's a good case to make to be made for that but where do you think home is for the man in black do you think it could be the temple it, it could be they are obviously taking great pains to keep him out and we we do know that jacob was in there and his death seems to shake them up significantly there you know i think there is some conflict about whether or not he gets there so you know that's as good a guess as any i think the only reason why i would think it's not the temple is because when he says that he says it as a counterpoint to john Locke. he says john Locke didn't want to leave the island and i'm not like him i want to go home well what the man in black says the one thing that is different between us he didn't want to go home and i don't John Locke's home is off the island, but that doesn't mean that the man in black's uh, home is not on the island. That's you true. See that's a mean? fair point. And uh, my only hope is that it's not aliens, as some people are you know, that, kind of putting out there. Oh, that scares me so <laughs> much. John in Philadelphia, also not a fan of what they might be doing off the island on the plane. And that's where Mr. Jacob comes in with his uh, question about Locke and the story about the walkabout. What's going on there? I, You know, I can't really... Th- think of a specific time when John Locke didn't tell the truth and he lied to Helen about going after his dad oh that's true he did well and well I don't know I mean he's just seemed so honest about his own motives aside from that that it's hard to imagine that if he were denied in the travel agency, that he wouldn't be angry about that, that he well, wouldn't seem as if something bad had happened. Well, that's the thing. I think that one thing that I'm picking up from this John Locke on the airplane, especially with that great conversation uh, that was happening with Jack, is right. that this is a guy that's at peace. He's almost zen-like. And exactly. He can give, you know, he can give, so he wouldn't be upset if he was denied on that uh, walkabout. He would maybe, in his mind's eye, just still feel that it was an adventure, and he still had an adventure, so he's at peace with it. I think Knives Monroe made a good point on the blog which is he couldn't have gone on the walkabout because the walkabout travel agency bought him his ticket back on oceanic 815 early because he couldn't go so if he did actually go on a walkabout he would have missed the plane um the only other thought about that story that i kind of like when he talks about you know hunting your own food and living out under the stars is it kind of sounds like you know jacob's you know ideal world where everybody's just sort of living on the land that's true and a way to see it is you know we might argue where the ends of these two timelines may or may not intersect and what if that john Locke on the air airplane is actually talking about his time on the island uh-huh. you know i don't know I well don't know. i think you just blew my mind <laughs> well then let's move on to our next few calls we have debbie michelle and sobega hi Wayne and jen it's debbie from boston calling about the season six opener lax i know that you think we can't complain about lost jumping the shark because they already did that several seasons ago but this episode really reached a whole new level of weirdness come on two different realities but not parallel or even at the same time the L.A. version isn't even the same as it was before. Some of the stories are the same, you know, Case with the Marshal and Jack's trying to get his dead father back, 
But others are very different. I mean, I know the Boone and Shannon story had to change. They probably couldn't get Maggie Grace. But Charlie's now trying to swallow the, ba- the baggie of heroin instead of taking a hit. Hurley is a happy-go-lucky businessman. If he never heard the numbers and was cursed by them, how did he win the lottery? And the On Island 2007 story, now suddenly we have a brand-new leader, a tough Japanese guy. I keep expecting a kung fu-type movie with a dazzling display of martial arts. And a group of 60s hippies with a very strange way of treating guests. And to top it all off, a drowned, shot, dared character suddenly coming back to life and speaking with his normal, not say British accent. Plus, I don't know if it's the photography, the editing, or the music, but this doesn't even feel like the lost I've come to know and love. They jump from scene to scene. The actors don't even have time to react. If this were season two or three, I'd be quitting now, but since it's season six, I guess I'll have to stay to the end. Anyway, thanks for a great podcast, and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Michelle in New York. Um, I watched the season premiere last night, and I have to say I was satisfied, but it felt a little action-heavy to me. Um, There wasn't a lot of time to kind of process what was going on. I know people had problems with the pace last season, but this to me felt like like a monorail run off the tracks. I mean, it was like the bomb work, bombs in work, you know, Fox the Monster, Asian hippies in the temple, Juliet's alive, Juliet's dead. It, it, it was very hard to kind of step back and, and focus on any one aspect um, that they gave us. Um, that said, I I am a fan of the by Flash's alternate timeline because to do something that crazy, I feel like they have to have a big payoff in mind. Um, it's so insane that I'm confident that they have something um, that will be relatively satisfying, and it's nice to see all the dead people again. Um, and, yeah, I just want to say one final thing. Congratulations to Naveen Andrews, who after three solid episodes can finally stop dying. Thanks so much for the podcast, and I can't wait to hear it. Bye. Hi, this is Sabeka calling about the Lost premiere. Overall, I thought it was a really, really good episode, but I wasn't exactly mind-blown. Maybe after months, uh, years even, of waiting for the final season, there might have been too much hype or expectation. But I thought it was good. Uh, for me, the parts that drafted it were actually all of the on-island parts. And um, it was really slow. It took about an hour and 40 minutes for the island stuff to at least pick up. But I do have some questions, especially um, about the water discoloration. I really want to know what that means. Is that how they, um, especially Richard, stay immortal? Can they not do that anymore? Um, if Saeed changed the way Ben was supposedly changed, I personally am of the belief that Saeed is now Jacob, um, which is good because Ms. Ian Andrews hasn't had much work to do acting-wise for the past couple of years, and I think this will give them some really good stuff to work with if that's what they're doing. Um, I did love the alternate reality bits. The island underwater, that was so cool. I loved seeing Boo and Charlie, Arts, Kroger even, and I loved noticing the little changes. But, um, overall, it was a good episode. I'm looking forward to your podcast. Thanks so much for the work you do. I think uh, this episode was a solid 8 out of 10.
Thanks for those calls. And now we got some of the hesitation among the fans of Lost. <laughs> like, what's going on? Debbie from Boston saying, holy cow, there's just it's just a mess. And if this were season two, I would quit. But, you know, I can't. So I guess we're going to keep watching. I have to admit, I went to bed on Tuesday night really frustrated and really confused. But the more I hear people talk about it, and actually as I'm sitting here doing the podcast, I can kind of see where people are coming from. And it, it, I think it it's probably re- actually really exciting. Well, you know, every time we've gone back to look at episodes that we've trashed you know we kind of like it better and I think upon repeated viewings you're going to get that but I also think that Debbie makes a good point we're, we're in too deep at this point so we're we're going to watch the rest whether we want to or not I mean it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crack it's an addiction and, and we're hooked Michelle in New York saying well you know I think this whole thing with the side flash timelines and all of everything it just seems like it's moving too fast and my concern is the pacing that I we're not going to get to we're not going to get to learn things I agree the reason I love this show is the character and that's definitely one of the things that was on my mind on Tuesday night. I think, interestingly, and maybe tying to that earlier call, one of the things that this uh, stuff on the airplane might give us is the analysis of character, because what's mm-hmm. going on on the island seems very plot-specific and mythology-specific, so maybe it's seeing what happens if the plane lands that will tell us what we feel we need to know, what is left for the stories for right. these characters. And so Baker finally saying, well, the on-island uh, stuff gave us some mysteries and questions and answers, but I felt it moved kind of slow, but I loved the stuff on the airplane, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's that's kind of interesting, so maybe the Creators of the show have gotten their cake and able to eat it as well, <laughs> and they're given fans on either end something to chew on. So I, th- I thought that was an interesting perspective. Well, she mentions Naveen Andrews, and I really enjoyed seeing Saeed as kind of the tortured killer, that the really conflicted, wounded killer, and, and it would be interesting to see another side of him. So I kind of hope they, they do do whatever they're doing. Right. I mean, I think Saeed uh, Naveen Andrews is an interesting choice to play that role, if mm-hmm. that's what's happening. But his character, and I think someone said on the blog as well, I mean, it's kind of one note. How many more yeah. times can he feel bad for what he's done? So maybe if, he, if like John Locke, uh, Terry O'Quinn, he gets to play a completely different character, then maybe we'll see some serious acting chops. Yeah, that'd there. be interesting. Well, we got a lot of other calls, of course. Daniel from Tennessee, Mario in Houston, Jay from Connecticut. Really great thoughts. But mm-hmm. um, frankly, we've got so much feedback to get to. We need to move on to the blog and email. Taylor writes, I was prepared to be extremely disappointed by this episode. It just seemed like it was going to be kind of predictable. Mm. In the words of Mr. Locke, I was wrong. Just unbelievable. I am still shaking my head in disbelief. I have a headache from crying about 30 times <laughs> and still have goosebumps and firmly believe that Terry O'Quinn will win every single award this year. Here, here. Brent says, the bomb did not sink the island. To think as much after seeing intact structures such as the barracks or the swing set is nonsensical. Yes. Mm-hmm. In all actuality, based on the vegetation and weathered appearance of said freestanding objects, the island seems to have been in this stasis for a while. The island can move through space and time, so it being moved to such depths would be much more plausible. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Tom with an H writes, I believe that Juliet experienced her life in the alternate timeline right before her death. I truly expect that we will see an episode where she is reunited with Sawyer and asks him out for coffee and even offers to go Dutch. Which then raises the question, can one reunite with the other timeline through death? Will each of the Losties have to die in order to join with the consciousness of their counterparts who landed at LAX? I'm not a big fan of the alternate timeline, but if somehow these two worlds begin to meet, you'll have me hook, line, and sinker. You know, I'm not sure how they're going to connect them, but that's certainly what we all want to see. Yeah, and certainly if death, is, if death is one way to do it, that, that kind of would fit with the overall theme of the show. Mm-hmm. Kat, or Kate in Ohio says, after this last episode, it became really obvious to 
me that the writers were continuing the Alice in Wonderland looking glass theme for Juliet as a closure to her character. It seems that the fall down the rabbit hole with the fade into white and then showing the plain losties was a metaphor for the mirror looking glass. When Alice describes the room on the other side of the mirror to the black cat, she says, everything looks exactly the same except it goes the other way, which is how all the characters seemed in the LEX timeline. The same but kind of opposite and surreal. Jack looking in the mirror at his phantom injury really drove this idea home. Yeah. I feel that the most important part of the looking glass story relating to Juliet's death is the chess game. Juliet was always a pawn of Ben and detonating the bomb was like Alice finally approaching the eighth square and becoming a queen with power. It was Juliet's act of rebellion and triumph. Wow, I haven't even thought of it that way. I that love is that so stuff. cool. Aaron from Scotland writes, being Scottish, we kept a close eye on Henry Cusick's portrayal of Desmond early in on Lost and we were surprised that he used the term brother regularly. Seems strange given that it's rarely used over here and Henry Cusick is Scottish. When they gave him the monk backstory, it made sense of course, but in LAX he refers to Jack as mate on two occasions. Hmm. This had us nodding in approval as it's much more common here, but it occurs to me that this could well be another one of the changes in the divergent timeline. Perhaps this Desmond was never a monk? If the H-bomb went off in the 70s and Ellie wouldn't have made it off the island and wouldn't have met Brother Campbell. We don't know yet about their connection, but it may well involve Desmond in some way. Anyway, just thought that this was a minor allusion to a possible change in the timeline that people might not notice. Here's a creepy fact for you all as well. Henry Cusick has a son called Esau. Well, that's certainly awesome. And yeah, de- cool. def- definitely there's something different. I mean, he's on the plane for one. He's dressed up nice. So I don't mm-hmm. think he was a monk. But the whole thing with the mate versus brother, I think definitely kind of a nice touch by the writers. Mm-hmm. John Fisher writes, why are the writers slash producers showing us this parallel universe? What are we to make of it other than it being either an interesting or for some folks boring distraction from the story on the island that we're all most interested in? It has to serve some purpose in the overall series and we only have a scant number of episodes to learn what. Will the folks in the parallel universe live happier lives? Will they live similar lives, ending mostly in unhappiness? Will they somehow come to remember their island universe and use those experiences and lessons learned to live more fulfilled lives? Will the two universes somehow come back together, or will the folks in one of them die while the others live? At this point, I just don't know, and I can't even begin to guess. And that's why we keep watching. Exactly. We're with you there, John. Mr. Z from Universe X writes, Concerning dual timelines, I think Lost will borrow a few pages from a ta- fantastic book concerning traveling through time and space timeline by michael crichton in timeline a group of scientists develop a machine that can transport an individual's particles to a parallel world by copying destroying and replicating the particles in the separate reality however the individual in timeline one must first die in order to be replicated in timeline two and that's where i think lost is heading in order for everyone to jump into Timeline 2 or Universe X, they must first die in Timeline 1 as Juliet did. If Dalton are planning to follow stringent rules of physics to explain what is happening, this is the only possible explanation that I can imagine. And that certainly makes sense, I guess, and that might be to answer John Fisher's point that yes, maybe they need to die on one side, mm-hmm. but you know, I definitely think that's way deep into the sci-fi hole as well. I'm not sure <laughs> how accepting um, viewers are going to be of that, but it also reminds me of uh, a comment that Russell made on the blog that, you know, Juliet did what Desmond did. That's Juliet, right. you know, uh, hit the bomb and set off a, a pocket of energy in a way, the same way that uh, Desmond 
turned the failsafe key and got this ability to sort of shift through consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. Consciousnesses? Consciousness? So <laughs> I think that that's kind of what might be happening and maybe, you know, Juliet's the first person to make that trip. But again, I, I'm not sure if they're going to go quite that far. I actually read Timeline a couple of years ago and I can't even really remember it all that well. <laughs> so I, I don't know if we want to do that to the fans of Lost. <laughs> cool Piece writes, great episode. Love the direction they took with the storylines. I think they were brilliant to have the two timelines. I think that instead of diminishing the characters it is giving us, the audience, a better opportunity for character development, whether it's redemption, free will, or destiny. I think that by having the audience be more aware of the history of these characters than the characters themselves, it affords the writers a great opportunity for storytelling. Bottom line is, I still care deeply for these characters, and I'm very interested in what will be happening to them in either timeline. Yeah. Well, the thing about that is, uh, do you do you feel that now, if you're watching Lost for the first time, and you're seeing what's happening on the plane, that you also have to know what happened to them in the original universe of their lives again yeah, I, mean, you I, do. Think, yeah. I think it might be just a, it might be a bit more twisty than we were expecting Jen in Chicago writes what if the reason Locke was able to walk again on the island was because Jack had surgically fixed him in the alternate timeline when the plane crashed somehow Locke's timelines got interchanged and he became the Locke from the alternate timeline we're seeing this season since that Locke's paralysis had been healed he was able to walk Crazy, I know, but I thought I'd put that out there. You know, that's, you know, I can't in, in even begin to map out specifically how that could work, but mm-hmm. I kind of like it. I mean, I think that, you know, maybe as people in the world we're seeing in LAX check out, whether it's by death or some other method, that they actually kind of enter the world that we've seen them in. And mm-hmm. so that could explain some of these things. Um, I, so either Jen is brilliant or just as crazy as the rest of us. <laughs> Gretchen writes, I hate the parallel storylines. I can't keep up with two parallel stories and three plots all going on at once. Do you think that the parallel stories will somehow come together by the end? I kind of think they have to. Otherwise, we have two endings and that's just not tenable. Yeah, well... I mean, I certainly agree. I wouldn't say I hate the the alternative, the, the what's going on on the airplane. I, I'm just going to keep calling it the off-island stuff. Um... But because I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did, but I don't think two endings is going to be satisfying. Absolutely so it's got to come together. Carol from Boston writes, Thoughts about the man in black. When have you seen him do anything evil? In the season five finale, he seems weary and disgusted with Jacob for bringing people to the island. If the man in black or Smokey are the same thing, realize that Smokey has only killed people that Smokey has judged as being bad. It seems too easy that Smokey is the bad guy and Jacob is the good guy. The good guys, a.k.a. the others, have been kidnapping children, torturing people, killing people, all in the name of Jacob. Maybe Jacob is the one fooling everyone. I am not sure how this is going to work out, but I am not assuming anything at this point. Well, I think that's certainly a fair strategy, and a lot of people are kind of having doubts about the goodness of Jacob. And oh, I yeah, think when I totally we, am. When we first met him, my theory was that if he's bringing people to, to the island to play out this sick game, how, how nice of a person can he be? Yeah, I agree. But uh, someone who feels the opposite way is Ben MC, who writes, I don't know why there is even a question anymore that Locke embodies the devil and Jacob is supposed to be God. Evidence. One, the devil hates God and hates that people follow him blindly. Two, the devil is the great deceiver and Locke clearly deceived Ben into killing Jacob. Three, the only way God or religion itself can die is by man's free will and his desire to turn against God or to not believe in him. By deceit and free will, the devil found the loophole to kill Jacob by Ben's hand. Mm -hmm. Number four, God or Christ lays his hands on the weak and sick and heals them. Number five, God and the devil exist completely outside of space and time as we know it. And number six, the devil was cast out of heaven by God because of his vanity and greed and he's been trying 
trying to get back in ever since. He wants to go home. There's so much more, but I think this part of the story was pretty clearly played out last night. I don't know. I don't think anything is that simple on this show. I I agree, but uh, certainly a lot of good points that he's pointing out the parallels there. Russell from California writes, I don't think the man in black wants to get off the island. I think his home is the temple. We heard earlier that the smoke monster is a security system for the temple. I think he was banished at some point and has never been able to get back, similar to what we've seen with Ben and Widmore getting back to the island. The temple others have a track record of taking over other people's property, i.e. Dharmaville. That's why I think they're so afraid of him. Biblically, Jacob conned Esau out of his birthright, and I think we're seeing that played out here with Jacob now dead, the man in black, Smokey, unlock Esau, wants to claim his place. Richard Alpert will be his bargaining chip. Well, again, I mean, I'm not sure if the temple is his home, but a lot of really good points there, especially yeah. with the Jacob and Esau story. And that he, if why is he bringing Alpert back to the temple? Probably because Alpert as a servant of Jacob would be someone valuable enough for to be oh, used as a hostage. That's true. Yeah. So I kind of like that stuff. And uh, again, John from Philadelphia had the same uh, thought mm-hmm. about the temple being uh, the home. Painter Girl writes, was anyone else surprised that Jacob recommended that they enter the temple through the same hole? where Montand lost his freaking arm. At least in the <laughs> 80s, Smokey was able to enter this area. I don't think the temple can be Man in Black's home for this reason. Hmm. Mm. I also felt that Rousseau's team's sickness came from entering this hole, and it was actually Smokey calling to the team using Montand's voice. Mm-hmm. So how do we reconcile these two uses of the temple entrance? I don't know. Wow. I mean, that's true. The, the, the Again, the smoke monster was sort of seen as a guardian of the temple. So why is it being blocked from the temple? It seemed to have access to the temple. It dragged people into the temple. So maybe we've seen it change hands. Maybe at one point it was Jacob's lair and it becomes the men in black smoky or well, the other kind way of, around. Well, kind of the way that the others were bends, but now they're locks. I don't know. But I mean, I think Painter Girl definitely raises a fair question. Yeah. And actually, John Fisher says, you know, why would um, Jacob tell Jin, you know, to go to where you were because mm-hmm. Jacob wasn't there. So maybe the reason why the person's telling him to take uh, Saeed through that same hole is because at that time it was Jacob in the temple doing oh. all this stuff. But I don't know. Hmm. See, now I'm starting to get one of those famous headaches. Jan from France writes, the man in black as a smoke monster was looking for people to use to manipulate someone into killing Jacob. He first meets John, who is really easy to manipulate, but the problem is he is not a killer. So when he meets the Pentanin Echo and the body of his dead brother on the island he thought he had the best person to manipulate into killing hence Locke having a dream tell him to go rescue echo unfortunately for him echo rebelled against his brother and so got killed by Smokey because he was now useless that you've got to kill your father test to prove that you are the leader and the rule that the leader is the only one that can see Jacob proves that the decision of who is the next leader had been manipulated by the man in black for a long time well I think Jan just here basically gave gives a very reasonable narrative to kind of explain the different encounters with Smokey, at least with Mr. Echo, mm-hmm. the first time with Locke, and, you know, how it all turns out, and certainly, you know, explaining the loophole, which is sort of my belief, which is, you know, if uh, Unlock, who is actually the smoke monster, goes into the temple, Ben is still the leader because he's not actually Locke, and so, I mean, I still think it fits mm-hmm. into that explanation as well, so I definitely appreciated that. Bill writes... 
Jacob gave up too easily like a lamb at slaughter. As Saeed was lifted from the pool, the position of his arm symbolized the cross. My guess is Jacob is resurrected as Saeed. I would bet that Ben Linus is really in with Jacob. He's too much of a player to be shocked by everything that's happening. Well, a lot of people kind of pointed out the sign of the cross or the crucifixion kind yeah. of symbol going on there. Um, and certainly a lot of people think that uh, Saeed is going to be, you know, Jacob's going to be res- resurrected in Saeed. But do you think that Ben is in on this whole plan? No, I I don't. I think there was a time when he could manipulate things and have everything go his way. But I think that pretty much ended when he realized that he'd been played by Jacob the whole time. Right, right. And he certainly seemed shocked when he saw the body on the beach and Mm -hmm. really shell-shocked. But then I also thought it was kind of weird where he basically at that point decided not to help Richard anymore and basically, you know, I'm not going to tell you what happened in there. Why don't you go in? So already it seemed like he was up to something there. Jami writes, the man in black, who I still would like to call Esau, is not using John Locke's body because John Locke's body is lying in the sand by the large crate, as they went out of the way to point us mm-hmm. to point out quite a bit. So, if Jacob has similar powers, he doesn't need Saeed's dead body as a vessel. I wouldn't take the voice being different to mean anything. After all, if one was just drowned, then there would be a need to clear the air passage. Only Miles knows for sure. That's true. Well, you know, I think basically we're seeing we one takes the form of other people, and certainly there's an issue with dead bodies and their use. And I think Christian Shepherd is that an exhibit of that. So. Whoever Saeed turns up to be, hopefully we find out next week, will settle this question once and for all. Matt in Syracuse writes, Theory, Locke came back to life in Saeed's body, which is why his accent is different. Locke. When the man in black was carrying Richard away from the statue, the camera took an obvious pause on Locke's body, cut to the temple, and Saeed wakes up with an accent that isn't Saeed's. He was drowned in that water, which is apparently how they heal people. I agree with those who said young Ben was not the same person as current Ben. Maybe the others drowned him in the water and he came back as a deceased other, hence Richard saying he'll never be the same again. My head hurts. So Locke coming back? I mean, that's... An interesting twist. Uh, mm. I don't know about... I mean, it's not Saeed's accent, but it's certainly not Locke's accent True. either. I, I don't know. Anything is possible, though, I Anything guess. Anything is possible. Jeff writes, Why did Kate not associate taking Saeed to the temple with taking Ben to the temple? If I were her, I would have protested. Well, yeah, I would have too, but I guess at the point she just has to go with it. I guess, but it's true. Kate, date, Kate did go through that whole experience with young Ben, so she should have at least had a couple of questions for them. Terry P. writes, Regarding the discussion between Bram and Ilana in the incident about Frank's potential as a candidate, it appears that they were seeking a vessel for Jacob's spirit, a bill that Saeed is now filling quite aptly or not. Well, certainly I think that's, again, if we're going to go with that, you know, conjecture that that's what's happening, then that's what a candidate might be. Yeah, possibly. Although, you know, someone did point out that if you're looking for a dead body for somebody to inhabit, why not John Locke's body, who's right there? And Uh then you'd have a Locke versus Locke thing going on. Why (laughs) why do you need to even find a person who's not dead, which is Frank, and he becomes a candidate? I mean, so... Because two Locks would just be too weird. (laughs) I think that would have been awesome. Kat writes, I am struggling a bit with the man in black being the smoke monster how does that work with him guarding the temple now that we know that the temple people are scared to death of him also ben was able to go down in his basement and release him if he is a who and not a what then why would he be a security guard or a pit bull in a pen waiting in the basement to be let loose is there more than one smoke monster didn't we see smoky divide in three once before if this was it on the smoky revelation then i get nervous about other answers well i'm thinking now that 
that the man in black was thrown out of the temple for some reason we have yet to learn and that's why they want to keep him out again that's the only reasonable explanation i can come up with well that maybe he's lurking around it just trying to get back in but yeah. certainly there was this element of unleashing that ben did um I, I think that it's fair to point out that the smoke monster although it attacked kimi and friends uh-huh. didn't kill kimi and so that in a way kimi still became key to getting ben to move the island for example so oh, that's there's, right. you can just sort of draw lines to a conspiracy all the way back but uh, you can also see how what kind of a task the writers have ahead of them mm-hmm. trying to explain all this stuff Chris writes, when the other others find out that Jacob is dead and start to prepare for what is coming, I notice a woman picking all of the red flowers out of the bushes. I think this is a shout out to M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, in which a small community is terrified by some monsters they call those we don't speak of. In that village, red attracts the monsters and therefore red is forbidden. If a red flower goes out of the ground, they quickly pick it and bury it. If the other others are about to be attacked in some way, I think the last thing they would be doing would be pruning their gardens. All of their clothing and surroundings were in shades of tans and browns. Then look at Hurley. There he stands in a red shirt. Well, I mean, that's interesting. I think we, we saw the woman picking their torch yeah. gingers, but I think she's interrupted in that task by the alarm going Yeah, I, I think, think she's probably not really aware of what's going on until that the man comes up to her, and then she runs back into the into the temple. And I'm not sure if M. Night Shyamalan's worthy of a shout-out at this point. <laughs> uh, he's, he's just way beyond his expiration date, but that's for another but podcast. But the red shirt is that, a really intriguing thing, it certainly given is. the importance. I mean, p- the the um, beach others are, are I mean, the the... The other beach survivors are known as red shirts, and there's obviously a significant in the color red. Right. We just don't know why right. Hurley is wearing I, it. And I think that hopefully they're just trying to mess with us because certainly I don't want anything bad to happen to Hurley. No. Larry from Surf City, North Carolina, gives us a geography lesson that I thought was pretty interesting. He says, There are quite a few parallels between the island and the volcanic island of Krakatoa in the Sunda Strait, Indonesia. I believe the story of the eruption of Krakatoa volcano is at the heart of the story of Lost. It is at least a major influence on the writers. Mm. When the volcano erupted on August 27, 1883, it was reported by those around that the island disappeared off the face of the earth. The Dutch steamer, Beru, was washed nearly two miles inland on the island of Sumatra, ending up in the middle of the jungle. Cool. It is my theory that a tsunami carried the black rock into the jungle, also destroyed the statue of Tauret, save the foot. I think that the tsunami was caused by the man in black, now man in lock, just after the conversation between him and Jacob on the island when they see the ship off the coast. This is why the Black Rock is found in the Badlands where the smoke monster is known to reside. Overall, it sounds like the story of Job in which evil is allowed to almost torture a good person in an attempt to prove that human beings are not good and faithful, but merely reflective of their own situation. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of other points as well, so maybe googling the eruption of Krakatoa in 1883 might be a very good exercise. Well, actually, we're running out of time. I did want to get to one more email that just came in, if you don't mind. Uh, Go ahead. A theory that just kind of blew my mind. This comes from Mark E. And uh, basically he says, I believe I may have figured out the loophole. So Jacob and the man in black or Esau can't kill each other. But what about self-inflicted harm? Let's say the temple water's healing power comes from the supreme leader of the island, either Jacob or the man in black. Jacob's been in power most of the time we've known of the island. So when young Ben is shot and taken to the temple to be healed, he becomes, in part, Jacob. And so he is the only person who can kill Jacob. Of course, he's also still the leader, the only person who can visit Jacob because Locke wasn't really Locke. Uh So now you got that. The others bring Saeed to the pool in this episode, but it doesn't work. 
Why? Because Jacob just died and the water turns, because it now holds the essence of the man in black. And when Said is revived, he is now infused with the essence of the man in black. So Jacob has, with this twist, created the only weapon capable of defeating the man in black, which is someone of his own essence. So that explains the loophole, that explains what's going on with Said, and why, for example, Ben was able to just stab Jacob with a knife, but a bullet couldn't hurt the man in black. Whoa. What do you think about that? Whoa. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. So Whoa. Uh, <laughs> that's a good close. I think some significant food for thought as Whoa. we basically have to wrap up you all, everybody. Now, we love every thought that you share, even though we could only include a tiny, tiny percentage of it in this podcast. I mean, again, almost 400 comments, several hundred emails, and uh, a lot of phone calls. We love, we, we just love it all. You all, everybody, is our favorite part of the podcast because we learn so much from you guys and we learn about the questions that we should be asking so please do us a favor jump on the conversation after next week's episode posted on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the lost line at 815-310-0808 for best results post call or email sooner in the week rather than later and if you call try to keep it to about a minute to 90 seconds if you can yeah that would help quite a bit now we're going to continue to release our podcast on Sundays, in part because, of course, we've got day jobs and three kids and because (laughs) it takes a lot of time to really savor all of the thoughts and comments that you're sharing. Now, we know now with Lost on Tuesday, that's a longer wait for our podcast. But frankly, with all those initial reaction and day after podcasts and blogs out there, you know, some people can get three podcasts out of every episode of Lost (laughs) now. You know, we just love taking the time to collect our thoughts and yours and give you a podcast that's a perfect and complete appetizer to the next chapter to air. And so maybe be out on Sunday is kind of better for the Tuesday night broadcast. As always, though, we're going to blog after each episode airs on Tuesday night for those who can't wait to get an early taste of what we'll be talking about over the weekend. And now it's time for the Ford Cabin. Half of you skip it, half of you <laughs> skip to it, but we've got filming reports for the last two weeks here on the island, and that means spoilers. So if you don't want to know, you want to jump out right now or skip to the end. Welcome to the Forward Cabin, where we look ahead to what's coming up on Lost, and that includes the episode airing this Tuesday. The episode is titled What Kate Does. The synopsis reads, Kate finds herself on the run while Jack is tasked with something that could endanger a friend's life. Which is, of course, it could be a synopsis for any number of episodes over the last six, uh, five seasons. But What Kate Does, a nice twist on the title, What Kate Did. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to be playing with that uh, as the rest of the season unfolds. Well, let's get to the filming reports. Now, a quick update first on the giant Ajira airplane that they've assembled out there at the old airfield in Haleiwa. They've been really working on it. In fact, when they painted it, apparently it kind of ran in the rain and they had to repaint it. So that was probably a little bit of a problem, but it's got it's cowling the engines are on there it's got uh, the the landing gear up in front and basically it's looking like a pretty usable airplane after despite landing on the island Mm -hmm. and they've even got a dharma gas tank sitting right next to it which is kind of surreal and i did want to thank paul allison and taylor some visiting fans who were here for the last couple of weeks and they've been checking on it periodically waiting to see what's going to happen i even got some photos from taylor uh, posted on my Flickr page so the filming on uh, monday last monday the 25th they were off 
the trail to the west of the Turtle Bay, where I, they've done some banyan tree filming near Cavella Bay. And uh, there they were shooting with Kate, Saeed, Locke, Sawyer, Claire, and Son, so a significant portion of our of our friends, and a bunch of others there, the uh, Temple Others. Jack and Hurley were also there later to film a night scene. Now, the next day they were filming out at Police Beach, and uh, someone counted nine graves at the beach grave mm. site. So, like, obviously the stakes are high, and Hurley was seen filming uh, basically a scene next to one of the graves, kind of mourning somebody. So, I don't know, it might have been somebody important to him, and thanks to Kara who was staying at the hotel for those two filming reports. On the 27th, or last Wednesday, they were at the beach camp set, Papailoa Police Beach, a very familiar set. And again, a great number of characters were there. Jack, Ben, Son, Hurley, Ilana, Frank, and Richard were there. Um, In one scene, we see basically Ilana handing Richard her gun. She reaches in her bag to get something and then takes her gun back. And then another scene had Ilana and Hurley talking and she walks off. But most interestingly for the day, they were setting up for a big explosion and it looks like the explosion is right in the middle of the beach camp and it actually uncovers some kind of pit which is very reminiscent of the hatch mm. it even destroys claire's tent or at least what was was claire's tent um when that happens now ilana seems to be setting up the dynamite and after the blast she falls in and then they film a scene right after the blast they got smoke f- sort of floating through the scene mm-hmm. and hurley is halfway in the pit and he's looking around then out of of the jungle near him walks Michael. Whoa. Yes, Michael, who of course we knew was here, so clearly he's going to be doing some scenes, but he kind of steps out of the jungle very much the same way that Christian walks out of the woods as we saw him there. So mm-hmm. it, this is obviously some kind of vision that Hurley has, and specifically it looks like it might be the end of Dear Ilana. But uh, I do want to thank Taylor for that filming report. On the next day, um, a, a local fan, a local lost spotter named Ed, noticed that they had built something right on the front parking lot of the Hawaii Film Studio. It basically looked like a giant rock well, and we actually even drove past mm-hmm. it during our location yeah. tour, which was a bit of a thrill. In any case, uh, Ed says that it was a scene with Locke and Desmond, and uh, either they were playing around or the actual plot is that Locke pushes Desmond into the well. Mm. So I, I don't know what that does, but again, it seems the well is going to be a significant sort of plot point in season six. And late last week, we did get word of lost filming at the Kuakini Hospital Emergency Room and also at the Rehab Hospital of the Pacific that's both in Upper Kalihi. So obviously we've got some hospital or medical scenes going on. They filmed in the emergency room. Uh, Sawyer and Miles were there and possibly Kate, although that's secondhand. But Mm -hmm. also they filmed a scene apparently with not one, but two ambulances. And from what I heard, Locke is in one of the ambulances. As you recall, last week we reported that he was hit by a car. Mm-hmm. And so Locke is in one of them, and Son is in the other. So apparently Ben is riding in the ambulance with Locke and seeming very concerned with what happened to Locke. So remember we were asking who is it that might whack Locke right. in the parking lot of the school? I think it might be Ben, um, but I'm not sure what happened to Son. But uh, certainly some interesting stuff there, and mahalo to Jeff and uh, Nurse Ratchet for 
their reports. <laughs> On Friday last week, they were at Cavella Bay, again, west of the Turtle Bay Resort. And uh, this is turning out to be a pretty big set for them. It's an other's village. They've got fire pits around little huts. They've got a lot of fake rocks and mats and clay pots. Um, someone spotted a prop bin that was labeled uh, episode 610, Locks Clearing and Locks Camp. And it actually had in it some screenshots from an episode we haven't seen yet that they were mm-hmm. apparently trying to match. In any case, they were filming there all day, and uh, the actors spotted were four, Hurley, Jack, Kate, Claire, and Sire. They were all there filming, and of course, lots of others as extras, and everybody looked really, really grungy, but the grungiest looking other of all was Claire. I can't imagine I, that. <laughs> also, it seemed worthy of mention that Kate was not grungy, but she was uh, wearing bell bottoms, so hmm. I don't know what that means. Uh, and later that night, they were actually filming an intense scene, or what was described as such, with just Locke and Jack, and this was for episode 13, and I want to thank Taylor, yes, Taylor, again, for this filming report. Now moving to this week on Tuesday, many people noticed and tweeted about them filming downtown um, in Pawaki mm-hmm. Tower, right on Bishop Street, one of the major business uh, buildings here in Honolulu. And basically the scene featured a couple of uh, sequences, one with Desmond and Claire, and she was definitely pregnant. And they're talking as they ride the escalator up in the lobby of a building that was called Constellation Tower, and I'm not sure where Constellation Tower is. Uh, Google didn't give me any definitive answers of where that mm. ge- where that building might be. Um, the other sequence was with Jack, and he was with a young man, uh, kind of a teenager. Both of them were wearing a suit, and uh, definitely many people got the impression that the young man was actually Jack's son. And I'm not sure wow. if that's necessarily true, but I, I I remember way back when we had the filming report from Central Middle School, mm-hmm. and he went to a youth concert, and there was uh, pianists there and people and young kids playing music. Maybe that. That is part of Jack's story with a kid and some musical talent. But in any case, there was also another female actor who was getting a lot of attention. Nobody that was tweeting or kind of reporting from the set recognized her, but I think that it may have actually been Ilana. Um, Later that night, they moved right down the street to film another scene. This one apparently was a law office, and it was in the old Amfac building right there near Aloha Tower. Mm -hmm. They were actually several floors up where there's kind of a a, a balcony area, and they set up green screens set up outside the window. But nobody knows exactly what unfolded there. And I want to thank William, Rob, and Sasha for those reports. And we've got a lot of names because, gee, with Sunset on the Beach, it turns out there were a lot of very hungry (laughs) Lost fans looking for them. Uh, Moving on to Thursday, just this past Thursday, they were back at Locke's camp again at Cavella Bay. Once again, I think basically the same characters, Saeed, Locke, Kate, Jack, Sawyer, Hurley, Frank, Son, and Cindy, plus definitely a heap, almost 20 possibly, of others labeled Locke others. Basically, um, and many of them were recognizable as others that we saw at the temple in this last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a neat scene. Terry Quinn was there, and as he often does, he had his guitar, and he was serenading the crew, being a very friendly person. He and Jorge Garcia both actually being nice to the fans and taking pictures. Um, Frank was there, still dressed in his pilot's uniform. Kate was in those bell bottoms again. Hurley was in a brown shirt, and Jack was in a blue shirt and jeans. Um, I guess what he was wearing underneath the, the jumpsuit, maybe, Saeed was wearing his very manly black tank top. Um, Now, Locke was dressed uh, also as he was, as we saw on the island in the premiere episode. And basically, they were setting up this day for two large explosions. More pyrotechnics here on Lost. (laughs) They actually set up a large screen with green and white squares, obviously, for some kind of motion capture or CG work. And and as there were lots of other scenes as well, filming with a lot of gunshots. So uh, Locke, Saeed, Sun, and Lapidus were definitely 
definitely there in the scene where we were people heard guns being fired um, and for that scene for whatever reason Saeed was the first to leave definitely noticeable there and uh, thanks again to Bob and Jenny and Eric and Taylor for those filming reports you know he he was definitely the lucky fan this time he must have some really good contacts <laughs> to find out where they're at and finally February 5th that's just yesterday they were at Aloha Stadium now this is in fact the same stadium where Desmond met Jack and right. where Desmond met Penny and it seems that that's a scene that's going to be echoed in this episode they had a long black limousine and a silver Porsche so the long black limousine is uh, is Desmond's and he's got mm-hmm. Minkowski still as his driver and Penny was the driver of the Porsche and uh, no idea what was going to happen in the scene because of course Aloha Stadium is not easily accessible but it was only somebody who lived in the area that was able to send that report and that's Ed or Egg Foo Young so thanks for that report so that's it for the real hard filming updates but as I mentioned there's been a lot of people moving around the island and talking to people and hanging out with crew and possibly getting alcohol involved so I did want to pass on some of the little bits of gossip that kind of leaked around or people were sort of talking about after uh, the events and surrounding sunset on the beach for example um, it was said when someone complained about these two timelines and the split realities and what's going on they said episode six be patient episode six will kind of tell you what's going on and it'll make sense from there Mm -hmm. so that that does mean that we're gonna have to wait a little while to get those answers but at least there seems to be a solid point where things will begin to make sense Um, also we said uh, someone had the theory that the black rock ended up in the center of the island because of a tsunami Uh well that was also kind of left off or sort of tossed off by somebody so maybe the black rock was brought to the middle of the island by a tsunami and apparently things for the black rock don't end well wow. maybe those explosives might be put to a different use um, things might also not turn out well for the Ajira plane according to at least one person I'm saying that it might uh, not meet a good end in its time on the island but a separate report said that the plane and as I mentioned it's looking actually kind of usable with landing gear somehow out of the sand and everything so there might actually instead instead of it ending badly maybe there might be a future for the Ajira Airlines plane so <laughs> you pick whichever story you like better um, finally um, um, they're filming episode 613 now. There were a lot of explosions and guns, as we mentioned. We lose Ilana, which is sad, but the stakes are very high, and we're not done yet. According to uh, some sources, uh, episode 614 is going to have four deaths. Four people are going wow. to die, and they're going to be people we know. Uh, hopefully not all main, you know, quote-unquote characters, but certainly, again, um, it looks like as we get into these final days of Lost that things are going to get pretty messy. So... That's it for the filming updates and the forward cabin and the unsubstantiated rumors. And that means that's it for this massive now two-hour episode of The Transmission. The show is powered by you. We love you all, everybody, because that's where we get some of the best thinking on each lost episode. So after picking up your jaw off the floor every Tuesday night, (laughs) please comment on the blog with your thoughts. Send us an email or call the lost line. As always, we appreciate the reviews on iTunes and we're always available for some talk story on Twitter. You can email us at lost at whatyup.com, comment on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost, or call 815-310-0808. On Twitter, I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. And on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com slash Jen Ozawa. And I'm facebook.com slash Ozawa. So we're off to a great start, folks, I think. And with only 14 hours left in the greatest show on television, it's going to be a heck of a ride. Thanks for writing along with us. Talk to you soon. Stay lost. Aloha. Aloha.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.